these are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. Obi could beat the fuck out of Wayne Gretzky. Could you break Wayne Gretzky's record? Because he's 24! Just smoke blunts and swig 40s before I go out for warmies. We got like half dressed and then for it, and we're just going nuts. We're in the locker room by then. We're just going absolutely bananas. All right, guys, we now welcome on a very special guest. He was the face and voice that brought you through every pregame, intermission, and postgame show for the past couple years. A local Emmy winner for his outstanding hosting and TV personality skills. Host of the new podcast, the Capitol Building Podcast. Guys, the incredibly talented Rob Carlin. Rob, how are you? Welcome to the show. Wow, that was a hell of a lead-in, man. That was fantastic. <laughs> Can you follow me around? <laughs> right, we got we got to pump tires around here. We got to do it. Yeah, man. I, as you kept saying, and I was like, "Damn, who's joining us? This guy sounds good." <laughs> and then you're like, "Damn, look at me. How about that? How about that?" So, Rob, good to have you. How's uh? I mean, I guess how's quarantine and everything been treating you? I mean, we're, we've started to get we got a little bit back to normal a little bit. It seemed like, but now that we're getting into the winter, it looks like we're bunkering back down here. Yeah, getting ready to bunker down too. I, I have a bad feeling about how this winter is going to go. Um, you know, it's uh, it's funny and not funny, but, you know, people come up to me since, uh, you know, I lost the job and they're like, well, I hope you're at least spending a lot of time with your family. I'm like, it's all I've been doing since March. Yeah. Like, yeah. I yeah, prefer not to at this point. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Like a <laughs> terrible time for that. But, um, you know, we're good. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving. My in-laws usually come. They're from Michigan and, you know, my sister-in-law was funny because my in-laws wanted to come. We wanted them to come. They're mm -hmm. awesome. They're super fun. <clears throat> and uh, we wouldn't, neither one of us would say it's a bad idea. And finally, my sister-in-law was like, you guys are playing this weird game of COVID chicken. Just say you're not going. <laughs> and finally, we're like, yeah, yeah, it's really not safe. Don't drive through Ohio and Pennsylvania to get here. So it's just going to be the immediate family and we'll, uh, we'll make the best of it like everyone else. Love it. Love it. So let's start with the new podcast here. I mean, always loved you on Capitals Talk. In my opinion, it was always the second best podcast because obviously we, we're a little biased here. But so you launched a new one, the Capital Building Podcast. A couple, handful of episodes in, some good listens too. So kind of talk about that a bit, uh, kind of the basis of the show, what listeners can expect. I mean, is it all caps? Or do you mix in some other stuff? What do you got going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's basically all caps, um, but I'll, I'll bring in, you know, other beat reporters to cover other teams. It's all going to be, you know, around hockey and around what affects the caps. I mean, obviously, uh, I had Ian McIntyre from Vancouver to talk about Holtby signing there, and now right. it's Beegs and Holtz, and uh, Nate Schmidt gets traded there. So, like, all of a sudden, they became the caps of the Pacific Northwest, and um, you know, so I, I, it's going to be a lot of what you heard on the Capitals Talk podcast, just good hockey talk. Um, you know, after I lost the gig, I was kind of like, what do I do now, even just to fill a void? And, you know, you guys, I'm sure you're familiar with it. it, it right now, podcast is kind of a, a, a side hustle until yeah. you make it big. And um, so I got I got in with this group, uh, Blue Wire Podcast, which is a really exciting up and coming company actually was founded by a kid from a kid. He's a, he's a, he's a man. But for, compared to me, he's a kid um, from Northern Virginia who was a Caps fan and went out to the Bay Area to cover the Warriors and the uh, Niners on radio and um, was like, well, I can't pay my bills working in radio. So we started this podcast company and he's built a nice little machine they've got going there. So I'm, I'm in with them and we'll just continue the Caps talk as long as they'll as long as people will keep listening. I'll, I'll keep putting it out there. 
Love it. So one of your previous episodes, you know, you had Bruce Garriott on. You guys talked a bit about the NHL, the NHLPA. There's been a ton of disagreements. Even ownerships from different teams are up and down and this, that, and the other. And you guys talked about kind of how this could all put the season in jeopardy. I mean, if it really does come down to it, do we see an NHL or the owners or the PA stoop so low over these disagreements that they just delay the season even more, potentially even can it? Because, I mean, we're looking at the NBA here who's come out with their saying, saying we're starting December 22nd, we're running down this path, we're doing this, this, and this, and all is good, but we're still kind of very shaky here uh, in terms of getting on the ice. You know, I said it in the podcast, uh, if there is a league that would shoot itself in the foot and do something so stupid, it would be the NHL (laughs) to do something like this because they can't afford it. The NBA still has superstars and personalities and you're just gonna, if LeBron's playing, there's going to be an audience. The NHL doesn't have that in the States because Connor McDavid, A, is on the West Coast, B, plays in Edmonton, and C, most of America doesn't even really know who he is. So, And they don't, you know, Ovi and Sid have had their run for a long time. I don't know that it still has that juice even. So I, it's, it would be really ill-advised. I understand that owners can lose millions and millions of dollars, will lose, have lost millions and millions of dollars, but this league cannot afford. They've had too many lockouts and too many strikes. They're still a niche sport in this country so they have to get it done they will get it done uh and bruce you know spelled it out on the podcast and it really when he said it i was like jesus there's no time for this i mean it really had to be done Mm -hmm. last week to get players in to to canada quarantined for two weeks to start a training camp to be ready for january one right that was their big thing is january one which i think all of us hockey fans would love for it to that it would be ideal is to yeah. start on january one and, and continue to own that day um I, I just don't think it can happen now so and that's just that's like producing a show you're just back timing right i, I just yeah. we got to be out by jan we got to be ready to go by january one the math isn't really equating anymore so i think they'll they'll start somewhere in mid to late january and play a 48 to 56 game schedule somewhere in that ballpark and then you know leave a a week or so open for any cancellations i think they've learned from baseball and they've learned from the nfl that you're gonna and certainly from college football now that you're gonna have to adapt and be ready for cancellations and especially in an indoor arena in the dead of Mm -hmm. winter so i think they're just gonna they probably have 73 different plans ready to go. And eventually, as soon as they can work out the money, because this is like the mafia and politics, follow the money. Um, They're asking the players to give more, but they'll work it all out and get a product on the ice at some point. Yeah. Well, when you started that answer, you said the only league that would shoot themselves in the foot like this is the NHL. I would argue that the MLB could do that as well. They've shot themselves in the foot many, many times. But they, but they, they're always there. I mean, like they, 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 they played there. through there when everyone was ripping them at the beginning, when games were being canceled and there was that stretch where, you know, one team had played 12 games and one team had played two. And everyone was like, what are we even doing here? I was like, dude, we're figuring it out. Like that's mm-hmm. all anyone could do. Yes. Major League Baseball will find ways to shoot itself in the foot for sure. Yeah. But they did the right thing. And they just said, we're starting and we're going to figure this out until we get a champion. Yeah. Much like hockey did last year. Yeah. I think hockey just can't flirt with baseball through all its warts. 
is still mm-hmm. baseball, man. There's still right. a romantic part of baseball. And hockey doesn't have that, not in the U.S. anyway. The the other parallel between the two is you you bring up the McDavid part, um, like how he plays in Edmonton, he plays in Canada. It, they just don't market him well enough. MLB does the same thing with Mike Trout. It's it's unreal, you know. It's like he's the he's the best player in the in the MLB, but he's playing on the Angels. He's not he's not playing like well. I mean, the Angels have a pretty good market, obviously, but. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's but he's lost on the west coast yeah you're right yeah. he's lost late at night on a bad team that's insignificant the the difference is again baseball is baseball so you're still going to see that majestic swing right it's still going to yeah. come all over Connor mcdavid other than those handful of goals that are going to you know buzz twitter mm-hmm. it's not gonna it's just it's just not gonna penetrate the mainstream sports stratosphere in the states I mean, Ben, you're in Canada. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I went to Canada, I was working with the Islanders broadcast at that point for MSG Network. And I went to Canada. Obviously, everyone knows Canada is hockey is everything. Mm-hmm. I went there and I remember watching TSN one night and I was like, they're doing like three minutes of highlights off the top of this Canucks game. Like, I can't believe how much attention. It was, it was a three-minute highlight, a package from a reporter, more sound. I was like, this is one game in like, in like November. Like what? I can't believe how much attention is shown to every single game in Canada. And it is, it ain't that in the States. And I, I, I mean, honestly, you can't name three guys that would really make people turn their heads and say, Ooh, I got to watch that in the right. U S and that's a problem. Yeah. Um, so you kind of answered this question a little bit before, but what is your, unofficial official prediction of what will happen in the 2020 2021 season what i said about 48 to 56 games somewhere in that in that run and they will look i love the playoffs i thought the playoffs were great you know it was fantastic drama i thought they did an amazing job and the the main director for nbc actually lives here in my neighborhood and he said during <laughs> we'd be at the neighborhood pool during the pause and we'd be talking about like, how is this all going to look? How is it going to feel? And he said, he told his bosses at NBC, this needs to now become a TV show. Mm-hmm. It, it is a, a great mm-hmm. sporting event, but we don't have the crowd. We don't have the intensity. We're not going to get the cutaways of all the fans cheering. We're not going to be able after a goal to scan the crowd and see all of that and hear them. So this is a, has to become a TV spectacle. And I thought they did an amazing job of making it visually yeah. appealing. Um, I thought the NBA did a good job. I thought the, the NBA made themselves feel smaller and more intimate mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a smaller mm-hmm. arena. The NHL made it like it was a big grand uh, Broadway performance. Mm-hmm. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. So I thought they did a great job of it. And they'll do something along those lines again. It's going to be odd during the regular season because i think they're going to try and play in home arenas so you know they're going to have to figure that <laughs> they're going to have to figure out how to keep people safe and healthy right but i think visually it'll be great for sure so what we do when we have people on the first time is kind of go to their background whether it's a player media the member of the media anything like that so kind of take us through your story growing up playing sports you like you mentioned grew up on long island i mean and then take us through kind of when you first got into the media game and becoming a sports show host on so many different platforms yeah so i was eight years old living on long island when the islanders won their first of four straight stanley cups 
So I was like, well, this is the greatest sport ever invented because my team wins every single year. I mean, <laughs> I mean, imagine too, like back then, <laughs> 16 guys won all four cups. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, it wasn't, it was before free agency. So you knew those guys so well. They won, tw- I think it was 19 or 21 straight playoff series. Like it was absurd. Yeah. Didn't was- they go to the finals the year that they stopped winning the cup? Yeah. They lost That's to Edmonton. Ridiculous. Yeah. They lost to Edmonton. It was the drive for five. It was one for the thumb. That's what we were all. And, and so I, so they won when I was eight, nine, 10, 11. And then when they lost that year, I was supposed to, I was whatever, eight, nine, 10, 11, I was 12 years old. I was having a sleepover at my buddy, Brian Silver's house. And uh, as the, like that, that game was unfolding, I think they lost in five games that year, maybe to Edmonton. And as it was unfolding, I was like, oh God, they're going to lose tonight. I called my parents and I was like, you got to come get me. I'm not going to be able to handle this. And you and never talked to Brian Silver again. I, I blame it on him. <laughs> and I cried and cried and cried. I couldn't believe that they had lost. But yeah, so I grew up on Long Island, huge Islanders fan. Um, but the funny thing is when I got into hockey, so I, I started my career in doing sports in the local news. Mm-hmm. I worked in Salisbury, Maryland. I worked in Birmingham, Alabama, which for a Jew from Long Island was a bit of a culture shock for me. Um I worked in Baltimore, I worked in New York, and then I got the gig with MSG Network. And I I always kind of make the joke that I didn't know how little I knew about hockey until I started working in hockey. Like I was always like a a, a big fan of hockey, but not like, Mm -hmm. and especially as my career took me to all these different places, I was so focused. Yeah, I'm sure you weren't covering hockey in Birmingham, Alabama. Correct. (laughs) Yes, it was not very big there. Um, So, although it's funny because Nick Dowd grew up in Alabama. Yeah. he and I talked about Auburn more than we talked about hockey when he first came here. But um, so, you know, when I started getting into it, I was like, man, I don't know a lot of the um, where guys come from. Like if you're, if you're, if you're covering the NFL and you tell me that a player played at Florida state, I have a plot line to take me through. I could, I could walk up to that player and ask him questions just based off of his background. You know, if I knew it came down to Texas, you know, USC, Alabama, and, and, uh, you know, Florida state. And he went to Florida state. I got a whole background that I could talk about with this guy. When I started getting into the juniors, you know, where they played their junior hockey and, you know, the midgets and all that. And I was like, and these guys, guys that cover the NHL and live in that world are encyclopedic about that. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know it cold, you will get called out on it. Mm -hmm. And I got called out a few times. And then I just, it was like going to, you know, like grad school. I just worked and grinded and studied and listened and, you know, got to a point where I felt comfortable in just about any conversation. But um, yeah, so it was, it was a, it was a, it was not a, it was not a quick rise. It was a long, slow, steady climb. And uh, the last nine years at NBC Sports Washington were the best of my career and, um, you know, ended up covering a Stanley Cup run. So not much better than that. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, then the Islanders job comes around and you become the pregame host. Was that was the NHL always the goal or was it more so just any professional sport since you're such a big sports fan? Yeah, it was any professional sport. And it's funny because uh, when you're in this business, it's a, uh, the guy at Fox 45 in, in Baltimore where I got my start as a producer. His name is Bruce Cunningham. 
And he said, you're never really in this business until you've been fired at least once. <laughs> so, um, so I was actually working in Baltimore. I was getting married. This is uh, August of 09. And my boss called me in and said, go have a great wedding. Enjoy your um, honeymoon. Uh, in October, we're shutting down the sports department. And I was like, what that, that's how you're presenting that like go he's, go so he's the guy that's your life. you're gonna be unemployed in three months yeah. and um the crazy thing is as i got on the as i got on the shuttle we had parked the car at bwi i got on the shuttle to fly to michigan uh, i got a call from wnbc in new york asking if i could freelance i was like yeah i'm uh, i'm going to get married then i'm going to croatia but i'll be back in like two weeks and they're like oh my god go have the best time call us when you get back and a friend of mine um, who I went to college with had been working at MSG Network. She had taken another job. I reached out to her. She told me who I should email at MSG. I sent an email before I left to go get married. And when I landed in Croatia, I checked my emails and there was an email asking me to come in for an interview at MSG Network. So I, I got on the shuttle with staring unemployment in the face. <laughs> and I got back from Croatia with two job offers in New York. So um, I ended up taking the Islanders job. And, and again, this is the team I grew up loving. Right. I got to work with Butch Goring, who I was actually in the arena at nine when they won their second cup. And he was, he won the Conn Smythe. So I got to work with a guy who, you know, won the four cups. And I remember sitting at lunch one day and he's telling me stories about him and Gretzky and some of the old battles and wars. And we were there for a while. And he's talking, he's like, he's like, Rob, am I, am I boring you? I was like, Butch. I'll skip the game and sit here all night and listen to, if you told the nine-year-old me that I'd be sitting here with Butch Goring, hearing stories about trash talking Wayne Gretzky, are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome to get that chance to uh, be involved. And I, I've said this about being on the Caps broadcast and that's how I feel about the Islanders broadcast too, is when you're a part of the pregame show, to me, there's a huge honor and responsibility because you're now a part of, the fans nightly experience. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. I grew up watching the Islanders, it was Jiggs McDonald and Eddie Westfall and Stan Fischler was in the pregame show. And those guys were just as important as Brian Trache and Mike Bossy and John Tonelli and all those guys. Cause that was part of the experience. I just, I tuned in to listen to them. Mm -hmm. And when fans say that the cup run, a lot of fans have come up and said, man, I kind of lived it through you and Alan's, you know, love and how much fun you guys had that, means and meant the world to me because i know how important that is to the to the people at home watching yeah and it's an it's an 82 game season and like when it's the same crew for however many years you it becomes like a permanent thing in our brain we're used to it. it's like oh it's 6 30 i have to turn this on now because it's rob and alan and gp and johnny on the broadcast they're going to get us ready we know what they're going to talk about we know the segments they're going to go through and then we can expect an intermission and then like you said too when playoffs come around and even when they're showing the clips of like all right here's how the media desk reacted when the caps lost in overtime again <laughs> and everybody's right. pissed or like what the hell's going on man but yeah it just becomes fine-tuned in our brain to just expect that and know it and be like all right cool we're ready for it it's yeah time. like that's that's the official start of the night right i mean yeah. that's yeah. Right. So that's yeah. you're in your seat and you're ready by 630, even though the game's not starting until like 708. Right, right. Totally. And I, I remember again, I've told this story a lot. I remember landing in Tampa on the cup run and there was like an 11 year old kid and I'm getting off the plane. I have my headphones in and there's this kid standing in a Caps jersey, you know, right at the front and he waved and I 
you know, it's like awkward. I was like, man, it looked like he was waving right at me, which is weird. I don't know that <laughs> child. Me? Right, right. Then he waved again and I totally did that. I looked back like, is, is he, I, I don't know this kid. Like this is getting weird now. And I walked off and I took my headphones out and he's like, are you Rob Carlin? And I was like, I am. And he's like, yeah, I, know, I recognize you when you got on the plane. Do you mind if I take a picture? And his mom came over and took a picture and you know it was cool we talked for a minute and then he walked ahead with his mom and you know she did the kind of like pull you in tight like how cool was that mm -hmm. and i like stepped up and i tapped her and i was like hey if you think that was cooler for him than it was for me you're crazy mm -hmm. that was awesome i was like i was that kid and for an right. 11 year old to recognize the pregame show host i was mm -hmm. like that dude's a he's a sports fan he's tuned in yeah you he's know tuned he's tuned in, in. so awesome. i was like yeah it was great it was very cool I have to ask, was it tough switching loyalties from the Islanders to the Capitals? Because I could never. <laughs> so the first night uh, they played the Islanders, and this is, you know, back in 2012 when I first started mm -hmm. doing the Caps games, Alan May is, you know, is sitting there. And I, I come and sit down. He hasn't said a word about this, but I did purposely wear a blue <laughs> tie with a little orange in it it was like my own little quiet homage to the team i grew up a fan of and when you're in this business you do kind of switch allegiances because you get to know the players you get yeah. to know the coaches so that fandom while I, I i love the islanders in my heart i love the caps in my heart too like I, i've just been mm -hmm. around so much mm -hmm. but at that point the caps were not a part of me yet so i was like right. oh, i'll just wear a tie no one will even recognize like this it. new team i kind of hope we smoke them a bit you know dust right, them off right right like meanwhile the islanders suck back then so yeah. there's like no chance of that so uh so the show starts and i'm you know i'm like hey welcome in whatever the name of the show was at that point caps pregame live like um, the comcast days baby yeah we we every <laughs> year they change the name of the show so i don't even remember what the name of the show was then but um i said yeah i'm you know Alongside Alan May, I'm Rob Carlin, you know, Caps and Islanders tonight, uh, John Tavares, you know, you got to slow him down tonight. Uh, Alan, what do you think the key is? And he just goes, nice tie. Da -da -da. And he just kept talking. I was like, that son of a bitch called me out for my tie instantly. I was like, God damn it. So yeah, he, he totally, so it was, it was tough for a while. At the beginning, I was, when the Caps would play the Islanders, I was watching the Islanders play the Caps mm -hmm. midway through. And certainly in the last couple of years, there were literally nights where they were playing the Islanders. I, I totally forgot that it was even the Islanders. Like it, mm -hmm. it, it was just another team. And I was so focused on the Caps and so mm -hmm. into what they're doing that it, you know, I was like, Oh, Oh, right. It's the Islanders. So yeah, it's um, I always say this, this, the playoff series for me between the Caps and the Islanders, I couldn't lose because either, Right. My childhood team is going to advance on or the team that makes everything better in my life <laughs> advances on. So, and that cup run, I was oh. just as happy and as proud as any lifelong Caps fan. All right. What year was that transition for you where it was finally watching the, <laughs> or the Caps versus the Islanders and now the Islanders versus the Caps? Like what team was that? That was probably, uh, that was probably around... So I start, so when I first was doing the caps, I was, you know, like I, I was on, the, I was part of the caps broadcast in 2012. I was brought here to be part mm -hmm. of the caps broadcast. And, but I also did our nightly news shows. I was on the Redskins beat during the RG three years. So that, so I would, 
it was always like sort of split time. Then Sports Talk Live came up with B Mitch, and I did that and the Caps. I started full time on the Caps, where that was the only gig in 2018 for the Cup run. The 2017 yeah. 18 season was the first year where it was only me, but I had established myself. So I would, I would say it was probably around the 16 17 season. So it was a couple of years in, but not hardcore Caps years. Yeah. But right around then, I had been doing it for so long that, you know, I, the depression really started to hit you that we all felt. <laughs> yeah. Every yeah. Year. Correct. Yes. Shat- no, that, was that the Shattenkirk year? That was the Shattenkirk year. That was the, that was the Shattenkirk year. Yes. <laughs> and I thought I they're going to win the cup this year. Yep. And Everyone, then I was like, oh, I get year. why all these Caps fans are like this now. Because yep. uh-huh. I thought I thought slam dunk. This is a cup year, and they lost yep. again. Yep. So yeah, I think that was it. But that but like and really, what happened was again. This goes back to being in this business. The guys on the Islanders that I covered were like Kyle Oposo, I think had left mm-hmm. at that point, you know, uh, Tavares was still there, but like slowly the guys go. that, uh, Andy McDonald had left, like guys that were there. Wisnowski, and they were yeah. transitioning into a new team. Yeah. So like my allegiance wasn't to that, the guys that I got to know a little bit anymore. Right. Um, so you work uh, actually, Building off that, I mean, you spent close to like 10 years at Comcast Sportsman at NBC Washington, obviously covering more than just the cap. So I'm sure you've got a ton of memories from your time there. Uh, we want to get into some of that. So what's your uh, favorite caps memory, specific game or anything like that? The cup. I mean, it's yeah. not even, yeah. not, even it's not even close to anybody. I mean, it's well, besides, so besides the cup, outside fair. of the cup, what do you have? When you say besides the cup, is that anything on the cup run? or sure yeah we'll include the cup run the 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 cup run i think everyone's favorite moment was koozie knocking out the penguins yeah i mean that was Mm -hmm. you know and you know they they had the video of me doing the bird um yeah they turned the camera right because i didn't know the goal went in until i saw him do that alan immediately jumped up on the stage he knew it went in i i was kind of looking i was like what what just happened i looked at alan and i looked back down and i saw him doing the bird i was like oh my god Oh my God, they yep, just yep. knocked out Pittsburgh. So um, that was incredible. And the funny thing was, so we were like in the stands. We were at the top yeah. of the first section of stands. Um, that's where we did our show from. So they knock them out. Boom, we're we're sitting down, putting IFBs in, getting ready to, to do the show. And uh, all these Penguins fans, and I am literally right on the edge. So they're filing out a foot and a half away from me. And we're getting ready. We got our microphones, you know, NBC Sports Washington. Uh-huh. And they're all just like, F you, go back to DC. And of course, I have Alan with me. So I'm like, bye bye now. So Talk long. shit to him. Yeah. 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 Take care Stand now. See ya. Yeah. yeah. I, I definitely had like, I, had, I was <laughs> your muscle. tough because I had Alan sitting next to me. Yeah. You had the and, muscle. Yeah. No and I would have been screaming at these guys. <laughs> it was, it was tough not to, man. Because <laughs> they were just being so, I was like, and it was like one of those moments where um, I was like, dude, you just won back-to-back cups. Like, yeah. what more do you want? And you we know? never like, beat you, so chill out. Chill yeah. out for a second. Let us but, get uh, one. Yeah, it was, it was extra sweet to see them filing out so down. Like, they were just angry and pissed off. And I was like, oh, I know this. I've seen yeah. Caps fans like this a lot. Like, so long. Now. Yeah. There are definitely times when I think I hate Pittsburgh more than I actually like the Caps. I don't, I don't know if that's bad or not, but that's just how I feel sometimes. 
but that's, that's just a lifelong of being lifetime of being kicked in the midsection yep yeah. by the same lower, team lower than the midsection right 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 yes over and over again yes i so, get that um, kind of staying on the topic uh what's which is your favorite caps team besides that cup team when was when did they have the best chance to win the cup when they didn't do you think i think it was the year before yeah i think it was the year before um i thought that team really had a chance i thought man this team is so loaded and so good and um, and I, 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 you know, it's something that'll never be proven, but I do believe had they beaten Pittsburgh, they would have won that cup. Yeah. yeah. I think they were the second best team in hockey and, um, you know, it just, they never got that year where all the, all the guys chipped in Yeah, and 18, they finally got everyone doing something. That's what we said. Everyone, every night had to have an effect on the game in one way, shape or form. And in 18, they did. But that year before I thought. They're better than Pittsburgh this year. They're just better. Yeah. And uh, that that was the year I, I was mean, they, so stunned. They outplayed them too that entire series. And they right. just they just ended up losing it. Yeah. And that's what that's what's that's why you get that feeling of hating Pittsburgh. Because you were yeah. like, I don't understand. They're be- they've played better. How did they lose this game? It was like three goals in five minutes by Pittsburgh and blows 55 great minutes. Yep. And um yeah, that and I'm telling you, man, when they came back for that year that they won the cup, that you walked into the room in, in training camp and you were like, Oh, this room's broken. They are not over that loss. Like you felt it. Mm-hmm. You felt it like early on that they were not, uh, you know, I, I we, we all know. I mean, Trotz almost got fired a couple of times. That oh, yeah. team. Mm-hmm. broken we had joe b on and he told us like dude there was multiple times where trots would come up to me on the plane and be like i don't think they're gonna let me on this plane tonight i <laughs> <Yeah>. really don't <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The other, i was gonna bring up joe the joe b interview too he actually said his answer was we asked the same question it was the 13 14 team which i thought was interesting because usually people say that 16 17 team was the best team and on paper they were unbelievable especially after that shattenkirk trade you think oh this is let's go mm-hmm. this is it and it just didn't happen. Well, I, I think I remember that 13-14 season, if I remember correctly, um, Carl Alsner, when they got eliminated, because at that point, Alsner mm-hmm. was still part of that core of oh, yeah. failed expectations. Yep. And he was great because he was always going to talk to the media. So you'd always get something from him. And I remember him saying after they lost, um, and it, it, it's one of those simple statements, but you knew when he said it, what he meant. He was like, we're never going to be that team until we're finally that team. And I was like, yeah, man, there's only so many years where people say, oh, the Caps are great. The Caps are a Stanley Cup contender. If you lose year after year after year in the second round, we're not even talking about getting to the Eastern Conference final. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I do remember him saying that. And I was like, oh, no they're going to have to blow this up now. Like these guys are starting to realize this is too many years of failing, of falling miserably short. Yeah. Not, not, not losing in game six in the cup, not losing in overtime in game seven in the Eastern conference. Final. They're in the second round and they can't get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something's wrong. And I, I do remember. Yeah. Joe B is right. That team was really good. And, and I, and, and, and that right around that generation, that 13, 14, 14, 15 year, which is a whole other thing, but that's when you started going like, 
okay, something more has to change. They can't just keep bringing in these parts around the edges. And that's when like, at that's least when the trade us, OV rumors started to fly. Between right. At least like, amongst, you know? right. But if you remember back then, cause I remember talking with Chuck Gormley, who no, was our yeah. insider back uh-huh. then. And Chuck was wired in and right. Chuck was not afraid to ask a tough question. <clears throat> so sometimes in our business, especially when you're a broadcast partner, certain subjects you kind of have to gloss right. over. Right. He was not afraid. Yeah. And um, I remember having a conversation with him where he said to me, there's people in the organization that want to trade him. That's crazy. That and, crazy. And, and it was just like, and I always said, well, if you're going to do something like that, if you're going to take TNT and blow it up, trade Backstrom, because at that point, Backstrom was so widely respected, you could have gotten seven players or you know three players right. and four draft picks. Right. Then you're setting the whole team up for a, a new course. But I was like, hey, you can't be the guy that traded Ovi. You're never going to get back. But he felt, at least within the organization, there were there was a growing feeling of maybe that's the right thing to do. Now, no one will ever ad- admit that no. publicly. And I don't know who. Not now, it. especially. No, yeah, right. Definitely not. Right. But th- there was like, again, how many times can you fail miserably before yeah. you go, okay, we got to just blow this whole thing up. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to go back to the uh, 2017 caps you talked about. Now you obviously don't know this firsthand, but do you think that's how Tampa Bay felt this year after being swept by Columbus last year? You think they For were just sure. broken? For, yep. sh- for sure. They, they said that I had Jeff Halpern on one of the episodes of the Capitol building podcast. And he said, he, he was actually funny. He was like all off season. We kept saying, don't talk about the series. Do not talk about the series. We have to move on. Do not talk about it. And he was like, literally every single day we brought it up. We could not <laughs> avoid it. We're bringing not it up media. saying not to talk about it, but we're bringing it up. Right. And he said like every day, something would come up about that series. Hey, forget what we did. In the, ah, damn it did it again like he just said we could not avoid it and he said right he 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 said like uh that first month and they started off slow like the caps and they they he said they were still carrying that heavily and i think i think what the caps did in that 2018 uh stanley cup playoffs and what tampa did in in this year's playoffs Mm -hmm. the same thing they finally got to a point and they said enough we're playing the game the right way. I, we've tried this a thousand times, being cute and firing shots from the outside and relying on our talent. That stops yeah. now. I will sacrifice anything. And I heard a story um, that on that Caps Cup run that after they beat Columbus in the first round, one of their leaders got on the plane and, and someone said to him, Ah, we got Pittsburgh again. And that guy said, and I won't say who the player was because it was told to me in confidence, but I will tell you this. He said, we're beating Pittsburgh and we're winning the whole thing this year. <laughs> and, the, and the person who told me that was like, I had never heard anyone say that. Mm-hmm. that, well, that and, he, and, and he, it was like one of those moments, like when, when, you know, uh, uh, oh God, what's uh, uh, Rocky's, why am I blanking now? Uh, when she was like, win, you know what you have to do? Right, right. Win. Like all of a sudden That'll the music win. changed and that guy was like, oh my God, we're going to win the Stanley Cup. And that mm-hmm. was after Columbus. That was mm-hmm. before Pittsburgh. And I think Tampa got, and they, dude, the moves they made to get tougher well, during the season yeah. were fantastic. Yep. And um, I just think they were like, we're not 
doing this again. Right. We're going to play the game the right way. So speaking about stories that you were just talking about, I have to ask if you have a personal favorite OV story, like one that not many would know since you were kind of around them more than most people get to be. Um, you know, it's funny because the OV story that probably jumps out to me the most is such like a kind of a throwaway thing. But to me, it was like, wow, this dude just gets it. Um, so I got a chance this past season to do a ride along with him for right, a, right, right, right. Yeah, the Papa, Papa John's, John's delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I got to drive drive in his car with him and and he's delivering pizzas and whatever. So we first he goes to a hospital and he spends a mm -hmm. ton of right. time with the kids. A ton. Took every picture, signed every autograph, went and spent time with the nurses, answered questions, took more pictures. And I was like, wow, they he's they're really like getting every ounce of Ovi here. Then he drives, we get in his car and we drive to a fire station and we're literally getting off the exit. We're like a right-hand turn. The fire station is right there. And as we're at the red light waiting to make the right-hand turn, fire station is 30 yards down the road. We hear the alarm go off. And I was like, and I looked at Ovi and he's like, is that the fire? Alarm? I was like, I think that's the fire alarm. And there go the trucks. And we were like, oh no. We're delivering pizzas to the firemen. They all just left in a fire. Like I, we, I was like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. And we pull in and we had to wait for like, like the rest of the crew, mm -hmm. the cameraman was coming, the, the Papa John's people, the marketing people. So, so they come pulling <laughs> up and me and Ovi are standing in the, the parking like, lot. Uh, like, what, what do we do? There's no one here. There's like two firefighters in there. Pizza's here. Right? That's what he does <laughs> saying, I guess. And so there, a guy pulled his car in and like literally like pulls in and you can see him like, is that Alex Ovechkin like standing in the, in the parking lot here? And so Ovi's like, get your camera. And we get the camera. He walks over and he hands a pizza to the guy sitting in his car. This guy's like, uh, okay, thanks. Are you Ovi? And he's like, yeah, pizza's here. <laughs> and uh, so he gave him that great moment. We go inside the fire station. He gives his pizza to like, and he rings the doorbell at the fire station. And same thing. They're like, who is it? And he's like, pizza's here. Does the whole thing every time. Cracking himself up. We go inside. They let him get in the fire truck. He's playing with the lights and the horns like a child and giggling. As expected, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I figured. And he does all that. And then we had, so now we've survived, right? We got at least delivered a couple of pizzas to a couple of firefighters. Then we have to drive to a neighborhood to like surprise someone. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but I don't know if we got the address wrong or something. So we were like, let's just, let's just ring the doorbell at a house here. And you could see people looking out because, you know, it's a convoy of cars coming and Ovi's G-Wagon. And then Ovi's just standing in the middle of the street and you could see people looking out. And he went up, rang the doorbell, took a picture with all these people. Then he split. And I was just like, this dude has been doing this for 15 years. Mm -hmm. And he still does it. He's still doing the Papa John's delivery. He gave the firefighters something to remember. He gave that family something to remember. He gave a hospital full of employees and, and sick children something to remember. And he did it with a smile on his face the entire time. And I was just like, you know what? You can say anything you want about Ovi. Dude's all right in my book. Right. And, th and then we went back to, to 
uh, Medstar, formerly Kettler, and he surprised the hockey team and and capped off the night with a bunch mm-hmm. of kids taking. And they were losing their freaking oh, yeah. minds. It was thirty <laughs> hockey players climbing all over each other to get pictures with him, and he stood there and took a picture with every kid. I was like. Dude gets it, man. And he's as goofy as he was when he was doing it at 18 when he first got here. <laughs> right. So, so getting into the current stuff a bit, I mean, we'll kind of bunch this in, the bubble performance and the offseason, because obviously there has been quite a shift in the landscape here over this offseason, obviously. So let's. I want to talk about these two big departures, one the first being Braden Holtby and the second one obviously being head coach Todd Reardon. Um, kind of give us your perspective on Holtby first, the whole situation. I mean, obviously we couldn't keep him. We knew that, but I think a lot of people were surprised to see how cheap he actually signed for knowing he was going for that big ticket out in the market. I think he was going for ticket and term. He gets two years in Vancouver at that four and a half million. Um, and, and, and how good of a fit do you think he'll be there? And it, it's, it's kind of in a one, two system as well there, that one, a one B situation. You got to imagine. Yeah, that, that surprised me more than anything that he went someplace that he wasn't the clear number one. Like, had right. he gone to Edmonton, that's his job. And he's playing with Connor McDavid and, you know, a, a really yeah. talented team that's probably a really good goalie away from being right. a pretty solid contender. Mm-hmm. Um, to go really be a battle for the starter. Now, they've said he's the starter coming in from day mm-hmm. one, but Demko is going to have something to say about that. Right. So, um, so he's going to be part uh, mentor, part starter. <clears throat> and um so that surprised me i mean the worst possible timing for him as far as the term and 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 uh money i mean it's just the worst possible time it started with you know bob getting all that screwing money everybody and, over yeah. yeah just totally screwing the pooch for every goalie after that um so you know as Bob's season was playing out we we're all like hope he wants to strangle him right now <laughs> meanwhile hope he's not doing anything to help his own cause no. So he didn't play particularly well. Um, And then, but look, he said he wanted to go someplace that he wanted to live and he felt he had a chance to win. And Vancouver checked both of those boxes. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Vancouver. Ben, you may. may, uh, Never. I want to go though. Oh my God. It's one of the most gorgeous places on earth. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. And um, so he, you know, picked a great city, picked a great up and coming young team with a ton of young stars. Um, It's his boy Gets his boy Nate Schmidt. Beegs is there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good fit for him. You know, his uh, his great grandkids will probably be upset that maybe the money will run out before. uh, You know, it it would have had he signed. If he if he was a free agent two years ago, Mm -hmm. it would have been a seven. They're backing a bank truck up to his door. Right. (laughs) It would have been seven by nine and a half or nine and a half by seven. You know, Mm -hmm. and but that's the way it is, and. Look, he's got to prove now that he's yeah what he's got left in the tank. So he's, you know, he's, I, I think, I think it was time. Here. Yeah, it I was. Think, yeah, it was, it was time. I mean, Sam Sonoff makes it more pressing, but I think, I think everyone was ready to move in a diff- different direction. Right. And then kind of flipping over to Uncle Todd there. I mean, do you think that writing was kind of on the wall from the beginning? I mean, Give us your Did thoughts. Did Joe B say how many times Todd said they wouldn't let him on the plane? Because I would imagine <laughs> there was a few times Todd would have said that too. Well, okay. Well, we will admit listening to Chirp and DMV. Cause yeah, because we will admit we we were never the biggest Todd fans. Uh, we can say that truthfully. I mean, if, if, you, if people go back and listen, you know that we had some hot takes about Todd. But I mean, give us your thoughts on why that firing, you know, was or maybe in your uh, perspective, it wasn't a good idea. I mean, 
No, it was definitely a good idea. Okay. And I like Todd a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and I okay. said this, I, I actually recorded a, a mailbag podcast. And uh, for Thanksgiving week here, and <clears throat> I quoted Chris Miller, my longtime buddy at NBC Sports Washington. He used to say this all the time, usually about the Wizards, but the milk went bad. Uh-huh. Something stunk about yeah. that team. He had lost the room. He never, so, I don't think he ever got the room, to be honest. No, that's not true. Well, the, the reason Barry Trotz left was because the team wanted Todd, Todd Reardon. Yeah, they were yeah. grooming him and all this quote-unquote stuff. I get that, that's, but I, I don't know. I feel do like... you think he just was a better assistant coach because he could like, exactly. relate to the players more? And then as a head Possibly. coach, he kind of had to stop he was, being the buddy. He was Possibly. the good cop, and then he had to turn into the bad cop. Yeah, exactly. All those things could be true. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, it, you know, it, 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 I, it, he's a good coach. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't you don't get to where you are by not being a great coach. Like, right. And I think he'll be a good head coach somewhere down the line. Um, I think going back to Pittsburgh is a great move for him. Yeah. I was going to say that. Uh, well, first off, I was going to, I was going to ask you like, what do you, what did you think his biggest flaw was like while he was here? But I was also wanting to roll in. He goes into Pittsburgh as the power play coach and defensive coach, I think. Right. And that's, those were our worst two aspects of our game. <laughs> Pittsburgh, I bet, I bet it's going to go through the roof now. Guess he's the assistant coach. Well, the crazy thing is that, I mean, he he was the defense whisperer, right? I mean, he gets yeah. Michael Kempney. He makes him a top pair defenseman when he couldn't crack a horrendous Chicago, Chicago lineup. lineup. Yeah, makes John Carlson a, a Norris Trophy. Player. Yeah, snub, a Norris I'm, Trophy snub. Right. <laughs> I mean, so you know, he you can't deny that he was a great defensive coach he was the defensive specialist on those teams um like i said i don't know why it went wrong man it just did he lost the room Mm -hmm. relatively quickly but keep in mind and i I, and i say this with every ounce of respect for this core because once you win a stanley cup it erases everything else and everything else becomes far less relevant they've chewed through a lot of coaches yeah oh yeah and a lot of coaches who they either chose or they wanted or felt comfortable with and it quickly fell out of favor mm-hmm. you know so there is something to this group that you know it's they're, they're sort of like a peter laviolette like they have a lot of success and a lot of failure now their right. failure is relative because they're still a great team I'm talking mm-hmm. playoff failure so yeah. they they go through these coaches with and that's what i mean i man i can see your face where you're like oh, i don't know about failure <laughs> They, no, it's there. It's there. It's the highs are high and the lows are low. The lows are low lows for are this very team. Low. And then all of a sudden a coach is wondering if he can get on the plane again. Mm-hmm. So there's something think- fundamental with this core group that they've chewed through a lot of coaches. Mm-hmm. My, my thing with Todd was like, uh, I mean, and this is just my personal opinion. You can tell me if I'm wrong or not. It just felt like he was really, really slow to make any type of change. Adjustments, adjustments. Yeah, yeah a little stubborn. Babcock esque. Yeah, he, he <laughs> was. He definitely felt at times like he was the smartest guy in the room all right. the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you feel that way, you tend to think I'll coach my way out of this. Mm-hmm. And and I and I can see where when you go, hey. 8, 19, and 77. You ready? <laughs> you know, like, I always say coaches can be geniuses when they've got players. Yeah. yeah well, I'll, I'll put my money on these guys. They'll figure it out. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you've got, uh, you know, a Vesna winning goalie, 
what you think is a Norris winning defenseman, the greatest goal scorer of our generation, the most underrated center of our generation, one of the hardest nosed players of, of this current crop of team. You got a budding 30 goal scorer in Jacob Rana. You've got a dazzling Evgeny Kuznetsov mm-hmm. that's going to drive you freaking batty and cost coaches <laughs> jobs. Yep. You know, like you got a lot of talent <laughs> you're dealing with there. So I can see where you just go. I mean, their fourth line was unproductive, but really good at what they do. Yep. So like, I could see where you might get stubborn, but he mm-hmm. stuff. I'm kind of surprised that the assistant coaches have stayed along around as long as they have. And maybe yeah. there was something that could have been done about that. Mm-hmm. But then again, a head coach has to be allowed to do something like that. And if right. you're not allowed to, well, that's a whole other, that's mm-hmm. a whole other can of worms. Gotcha. So um, speaking of coaches, what are your thoughts on Peter Laviolette taking over? Do you think he's a guy? Because I do. I think he's a guy who can get through to a veteran group like the Caps. He seems like pretty hard nose. We'll get in anyone's face if he has to. History says they could win a cup in the next two years before <laughs> yeah, he gets exactly. fired, right? Exactly. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, this dude, I've never seen a more consistent <laughs> DNA Yeah. of he makes a completely irrelevant mm. Islanders team very relevant. Yep. He takes the Flyers to the cup. He takes the Predators to the cup. Mm-hmm. And then gets canned real quick. Real quick. So yeah, I mean, if 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 he can't get that team to a Stanley Cup in the next two years, the window's probably closed at that point. And maybe you're looking at a coach who's going to be more long term after that. Um, but I, I thought it was a great hire. And for the first time, <clears throat> so Trot they got a guy who'd been around for a long time, but they got a guy from like this very safe spot mm-hmm. in Barry Trotz. Mm-hmm. This is a little bit more of like, okay, we're going to see if this works quote, coaching genius can win us a cup here. Like th- mm-hmm. this was a, we're going to swing for the fences. Trotz yeah. I think was more of a safer. We need someone who knows what they're doing to build a, to build a, you know, to build chemistry, to build a culture. This feels like, we're going to rock the culture to its core and see what these guys are made of. And if along the way we could win a cup or two. Did you like the Babcock rumors? Uh, nope. I like the rumors. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that they were only rumors. <laughs> right. I, I like that. It was something to talk about, yeah. but uh, I, yeah, I don't think anyone thought that that was going to be the right. Uh, love it. Love it. So we'll kind of start to wrap it up a bit, a little bit here. So we'll ask some kind of different questions. So I'm a former PR guy. I've worked in, so I, I like to hear like media people's perspective on that side of things. So I spent some time with the UFC, the Redskins, West Virginia sports. And the biggest thing to me is always- Whoa, 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 whoa. You spent time with the Redskins? I did. I was there in 2000. I worked a season there in the PR department in 2015, I believe it was. So was that with Tony Wiley? Yeah, Tony Wiley. Worked under Tony Wiley. Yep. Wow. Worked under I mean, Tony. Man, you have seen the craziest of the crazy then. <laughs> Not Tony. Tony's a good dude. But no, but I was in general. Yeah, I was there during the prime, I guess, um, <laughs> things going wrong years and getting a good view of that. Because I came from the wow. UFC and went to the to skins there to kind of bring myself back to the East Coast. And it was God, like, which is more of a crazy show. This is this is this is crazy. <laughs> but so th- what I'm getting to is press boxes. And I'm sure you spent a lot of time in various press boxes. And one press box I've never been in is Capital One Arena. So I need to know, give me a good rating here with the press box. How's, how's, how's the food? Is the food not great? There? Okay, okay. Not great. Um, now, 
It's there snacks a... up top. You get your food down below and the food's all right. It's all right. Uh-huh. Then you go upstairs and it's just like a bowl of like pretzels or something and like a bowl of candy and then some popcorn. It's a very, it's a very, and it, I, not a huge so fan. How, I didn't really spend a lot of time man. up there. <laughs> I figured you did. And that's why I kind of was wondering if you spent, because I know you guys don't spend, or at least you don't spend much time up there. Cause I wouldn't want to spend much time near Tarek anyway. Tarek's our guy. We love him to death, but I'm sure he probably <laughs> like taking the best seat in the house, not letting anybody come near and <laughs> correct. So. I'll stop you when you're wrong about Tarek. <laughs> <laughs> See, nice. that's, that's what we do though. On the, I mentioned the question earlier with our first guest. See, and then we rope you into coming on multiple times. Cause Tarek's been on like what, four or five times now. Yeah. So now you're stuck. Like you're roped in now. Yeah. Wow. Well, how far into this? And then when you drop that nugget on me, okay. <laughs> You're roped in now. Now I'm in. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, now, just... now, now it's like a Bronx tale. I feel like you just shut the door and lock it. Like now you just can't leave. Yep. <laughs> you work for us now. Thanks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> AB. So uh, which Capitals player that you've dealt with over your time has been the best to uh, kind of interact with that from a media standpoint for you? Um, who was always available and like polite to the media, I guess. Funny thing is uh, Matt Niskanen, who yeah. is who is a tough like he's he's tough sort of an ornery guy, yeah. always there. Yeah. Door opens. Matt Niskanen was always there to answer questions. Tom Wilson is great, and Tom Wilson's great because he'll also talk to you about like baseball or uh, movies or like he's just like a dude who wants to just kind of hang out for a while like he'll answer all your questions he'll give you great answers and then he'll just kind of stand and talk for a while like he's yeah. a good dude oh she is oh she's like oh she's the kind of guy that you want to like punch in the face because you're like wait a second so you're good at every sport you're like a world-class athlete great golfer shoots hoops like got this amazing family at home beautiful wife like really is anything yeah. your, your nickname is Mr. Is Captain America? Like, really? Is anything good at everything and you hate him for it? Yeah, right, right. But he's he is seriously like one of those, like, you know, girls want to be with him and guys want to, you know, be want to be like, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's he's he's a really good guy. I will say that hockey players in general are amongst the best professional athletes. You know, you're dealing with some, uh, you know, some guys from foreign countries that English mm -hmm. isn't their first language, so they'll tend to be quiet and you can't get to them a little bit. Yeah, um, but all of them are really pretty much solid guys across the board. Yeah, and have you, you don't have, have to name any names, but any any bad apples, yeah. any tough ones yes. to work with. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I have some ideas, but actually, I'm trying to think if he was on the roster when you got here in 2012. I'm actually in the dark here. I don't know who you're talking about. I, Okay, I'm I've been here this. We'll, we'll say it. We'll say it after. We'll say it after. But um, all right, cool. So yeah, I figured. But that's that's always what we've gotten. Like even Joe B coming from that standpoint, he's like, I've I've worked in many sports, this, that, and the other. But like, you don't have to worry about hockey players. It's just you're gonna get good stuff out of them, and you're gonna get it each time. So Ben's question here. Unfortunately, it looks like you had some internet issues, but you had a super unique relationship with Alan May. You brought we brought him up a couple times. Um, and obviously your last broadcast by the most unfortunate standards, obviously it was super, it was a super special moment between the two of you, um, saying his goodbyes and everything. Maybe discuss that relationship a little bit and just kind of touch on what it was like to work with him and not even work with him, but become friends with him on a personal standpoint. Yeah. He's as good as it gets, man. I, I really, sometimes he could be tough to deal with because, you know, for former professional athletes just can be at times, 
Um, <clears throat> but he is, he's the type of guy that would lay down in traffic for you. If you, if he's, if you're in his circle, you're kind of there and he'll do anything he can for you. He always, you know, always took interest in my wife and my, mm -hmm. my kids always asked about them. Um, you know, when my kids were born, God, he called and texted and, you know, they were born on a game night and he was like, just, you know, I called, I was like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. My wife just went, you know, to the hospital. I think we might, he said, go man, go is the, for me the greatest day of your life. Like he's a really tough guy. Who's also like genuine to the heart, a good guy, but wants nothing but good things for his friends. And, um, that last show. And I figured, um, you know, that, that was tough for me. That was tough. Cause I found out the day of that we were coming back on August 3rd, right. that they weren't going to renew me. And they gave me the option not to do the show that night. <clears throat> and I said, let me call you back. And, um, I called back. I said, look, those are my shows. I want to take this. If you're willing to let me work, um, I'd like to finish the season out. And, um, so it, it, you know, and then Alan's not there, he's in his house. So it was kind of the whole thing was disjointed, but, um, but you know, it was like a long, slow death March for me, you know, like every yeah. game I was like, is tonight going to be like when they, when the caps won their game, I was almost like, ah, I got to do this again. You know, yeah. like you, you yeah. kind of get to a place. And, um, when they lost, I was, I was, you know, for me personally, I was glad they lost. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. It, it was weighing heavy. And I, I knew that last show I'd have a, <clears throat> my time to say goodbye and my time to, you know, say goodbye to Alan and thank him. But I did not expect it to be the first thing. And when he started talking, I'm already fighting back the tears. And he started talking, uh -huh. man. And I was just like, nope. I'm not gonna Gotta let it, it go. Gotta yeah, let it I'm go. Not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna make it. And and I could see from where I'm sitting, I could see through to the booth, you know, the producer and the director, and we had a lot of bosses in. <clears throat> and I see people start scurrying. And I was like, oh, they're not liking this. They are not liking that this show has become but about don't me. Don't dare come in here. <laughs> they, and I was just like, well, I got to let him say his piece. And he did. And it was just, you know, again, we, we had a really great relationship. We had a really good thing going. Fans seemed to dig it. Yeah. And um, I really loved working with him. He made me better at understanding hockey. I think I made him better at TV. And I think, it, you know, Makes all sense. of it worked. Um, and <laughs> another funny little story of a thing he did my very first broadcast <clears throat> and I told the story on the last night so you know you may have heard this but <laughs> on the last night he's like don't tell this story I was like what, what do I care now <laughs> right? this is my last night anyway they can't fire me <laughs> so I just met him like once or twice briefly and it's our first night together and they're counting us down and they're like five four and I see him frantically scribbling something on a piece of paper and they're like three and I'm, I'm nervous. I'm in a new station, my first time on air. And he slides the piece of paper over and it just says, are you a Jew? And I looked at him, <laughs> I, I looked at him and he looked at me and he just gave me this look like I knew it. And I was just like, what? And they're like, go. And I was like, what, what? And I got I, I was a little flustered right off the bat. And he was cracking up. He was so it's too funny. He thought he was the funniest guy on earth at that moment. And uh, it, I was just like, okay, well, this is going to be a hell of a ride with this dude. So, and it was, man. We had so much fun together. We laughed so much. And you know what? We fought a number of times. We yelled at each other a number of times. Like, all the stuff that happens when you're working with someone really closely for a long time. Like, mm -hmm. we had times where we MF'd each other up and down and 
whatever. We screamed at each other, all part of it. And it's healthy. It's yeah, healthy. And, and, and being on the cup run together was yeah. like, we all experienced this incredible thing together. So yeah. it was, um, I'm going to miss working with that dude tremendously. Sure. Tremendous. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to, sometimes the, the back and forth is, you know, like I said, it helps a lot. Cause I mean, we got this idiot Ben up in Canada with terrible Wi-Fi, clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You deal with no that. No storm, if you can believe it. So you, you, you get, you now only get one last question, Ben. That's your point. Okay. My last question, Rob, I was going to ask, we all know how the Capitals partied when they won the cup. I was wondering if you guys in the broadcast department did anything as crazy as they did to celebrate the cup. Not as crazy as they did, but hell yeah. That, <laughs> that was a long night. And uh, remember the Kevin Durant when he said, mom, you're the real MVP. Yep. My wife is the real MVP. Cause after that long night in Vegas and you could see right back there, that picture, that's, <laughs> that's me holding the cup at about four o'clock in the morning Legendary. up on the wall and um, in, in the club in Vegas. And uh, um, so we, we drank until about four o'clock in the morning. And yeah. so that's seven o'clock back home. And I call my wife, I get back to the hotel. I literally jam stuff in my suitcase. We had like a 730. Yeah, you guys flight. were up and at them early. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I literally just pat, threw, rolled all my stuff, packed it into my bag, called my wife. I was like, I've, I haven't gotten to sleep. I got to go, you know, catch a plane. We're going to fly. This is crazy. This is great. It's not, you know, I'm just like, this is, the of my life. this is so much fun. It's like and, me every uh, weekend. It, it was amazing. <laughs> And what does she do? Some wives would get pissed that their husband's flying back drunk from Vegas uh -huh. after the cup. Oh, come on. She yeah. get, takes my daughters to north, to a, an amusement park, a water park in Northern Virginia and spends the night. So I get home from this insane night of partying in Vegas, somewhere over Chicago. I was like, oh, I'm hungover now. I feel like death. I'm like green, I'm sweating. And Bam. I got home. Barkhart? Right, right, right. <laughs> I got home and my wife, the house is empty. I just sprawled out across my bed and slept for like a day. Okay. And then everywhere I went in my neighborhood, everyone was like, dude, how was it? Here's a beer. So I just I remember. Uh, yeah, I know. It the the details get a little sketchy. Yeah. No so, so you'd um, say that right there is probably your exact favorite moment from that. From that cup run that everything that i just cup said up. yep everything i just <laughs> it, said that, was that's funny because we asked like obviously i think targs was during tampa the tampa series when they won game seven and then you guys went to dinner maybe you're with them maybe you won't and then joe b just keeps ordering red wine after red yes. wine like 200 bottle and he's being all like do you guys smell it and Tarks just like taking it down like shooters <laughs> <laughs> so, so Tarek told you about the joe b wine experience oh yeah oh yeah oh so I, I don't know if he told you this we, we went to lockers holiday party one year and at that party joe b it's like a wine presentation he's got bottles he and he's, yeah and he's this one comes from and me and mm -hmm. courtney lachlan were just standing there like uh-huh less talky talky more pory pory <laughs> and he would get he'd pour you like that little bit to like get the taste and i was like right. hey, hey right up to the top my man right up to the top and he's like, well, I want you to enjoy it. I was like, I'll enjoy it right up to the top. I didn't say when. Yes. I didn't say when. <laughs> I'll enjoy it once I have about six or seven of them. <laughs> correct. Correct. And we really kicked this party I off. I can't. My taste buds were numbed 45 minutes ago. I just want more wine. So you think yeah. I care about the taste of this stuff? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like He's like, this one uh, was uh -huh. in my private stock for, I was like, Joe, I love you, man. 
I don't. So then like, oh, then okay. was totally like me and Tarek being like, all right, you cause a diversion that way. I'm <laughs> grabbing that bottle right there and let's get the hell out. Of yeah. Like we, <laughs> this is mayhem. mayhem. All right. So uh, we'll end it with this. What's next for Rob Carlin? I wish I had a great answer for you that my, uh, you know, I'll be replacing Doc on the play-by-play of NBC Sports. I uh, you got a fist fight, Joe B, for that one. You got a fist yeah. fight, Joe B, for that one. Yeah, break, break and, news. We'll break that news on here. Yeah, now I think Joe B, I think Joe B would kill me before let me take that job before him, and not even feel bad about. It. No, I don't know what happened, to Rob. I just stopped texting. Um, I don't know right now. Searching. This is a tough time to be looking. Hoping yeah. to stay in the business, but the business is changing drastically. It changes every day. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I'm, I'm, I've got feelers out to a number of places. I'm also, if I end up going in a different direction and going out working in the uh, real world that we in TV call it, mm-hmm. um, I could look back and say I had a hell of a run, 25 right. years, covered a couple of Super Bowls, was the face and voice of a Stanley Cup run and was part of an fans experience with the islanders and with the caps and uh you know i could hold my head high i have a lot of friends that left this business a long time Mm -hmm. ago and if i could say i got you know almost 25 years in the business and uh did what i got to do i will consider myself very lucky and then my daughter asked me one of my daughters asked me um what job would you want and i was like well maybe i had the job i wanted and she was like so what are you going to do at your next job i was like well i might just have a job so <laughs> I had a job I loved for a long time. So. Go to work and make my paycheck. But I think we can all agree with you that, or I think we can all say that we were lucky to have you for the past so many years. Because like you said, you become the face of something. You become a switch in all of our brains where it's like, we know to turn on at 6.30 to get you and Alan and all them from 6.30 to 7. We know we got Joe B and Craig doing Joe's little classic little whatever poem he puts together to start the game. And then we get you at intermission in the post game show. And I mean, I, I personally enjoyed it for years. I thought you and you and Alan were great together, yeah, Johnson you, and GP and them. You may not have known us, but we got to know you very mm-hmm. well, and it was it was awesome. And uh, we, you know, we you got full support from us. Obviously, we're rooting for the best for you, man. The Islanders lost John Tavares, but they gave away Rob Carlin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Wow, <laughs> what a way to end this! I was <laughs> about it. to get all emotional, and then. <laughs> And then that comes up. I'm going to uh, know what, guys. This was fun. I'm going to go crawl up in my Caps uh, blanket and pillowcases like Tavares and his Toronto ones. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, well, yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate the kind words. It was um, a lot of fans reach out to me. I was overwhelmed. My wife has said many times, she's like, I've never seen someone get all positive on social media. It's the meanest place on earth. Yeah. And really, I, right. it was overwhelmingly positive and, you know, I, I, I partied for days after the cup and I cried for days after they mm-hmm. let me go, but uh, hell of a run, man. Hell of a run. Like I said earlier, the highs and lows of it, but Rob Carlin, we greatly appreciate you coming on. You're welcome on anytime, whether it's the podcast, whether it's one of our live shows, pregame, postgame. Uh, we'd love hey, to yeah, have I mean, you. We can, we can go part two, honestly. I got, I, I could still talk to you for like three more hours, dude. <laughs> but uh, we appreciate you coming well, on. Apparently, and... I have to come back now. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, you have to. yeah, yeah, I you have, have to. I'll DM you. So. I'll DM you this time and not leave you hanging. We'll <laughs> okay, yeah, thank you. Thank Let's you. Do a duo interview with Tark and Rob Carlin at the same time. Ooh, it get dangerous. Anytime, <laughs> guys. Anytime. Let me know. 
All right, we now welcome on an awesome guest, the Glenn Allen, Virginia native, third round draft pick by the Rangers in that 2019 NHL entry draft. Currently defenseman for the UMass Minutemen there, eight goals, 15 assists, 23 points this season. Zach Jones, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome, nice. welcome. Love it. So like we do with everybody from around here, we start kind of where it started for you. I mean, coming up in Virginia, kind of Richmond area, when did you first start playing? Who were the first club or clubs you started playing with down there? So uh, I probably started playing when I was about three years old. I mean, my dad was the equipment manager for the Renegades when they were, when they were a team. Probably, I think he stopped in 02 or 03, I think. So I was always around the rink there. I was skating with him and stuff like that. But I didn't probably start playing until I was about three or four. And I think I want to say the Richmond Royals is the first team I ever played for. And then now they're the Richmond Generals. So yeah, uh, those purple and black hitters, right? Those yeah. Purple oh, black yeah. Unis. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they were tough when things. back back, you know, a decade ago when we were playing more than that at this point. <laughs> yeah, they haven't been around for a while, I feel like. <laughs> well, yeah, dude, I've, I feel like we've read uh, or we've heard through the grapevine. What's this? This frozen slab? Was there a, a, an origin story here? For what? Sorry. Is there a, a, a slab in your backyard or your dad built you a slab? So uh, we had a rink. It was called the lower rink. It was probably 10 to 15 minutes away from my house, like eight dads of the uh, couple of kids that I played with. They just decided, screw it, we're going to build a rink. And, uh, you know, that was huge for us. We didn't really get a, a, a ton of ice time at uh, some of the other rinks. So this is a place that we could just go whenever, right after school, before school, whenever we wanted just to go and uh, work on our work on our game. There you go. Love it. So, Spent, did you play at any other clubs outside? I guess there wasn't too many clubs down that way, really, outside of Richmond, right? Yeah, so it was the Royals, and then uh, we had a team, a AAA team uh, based out of uh, Richmond, but it was a bunch of kids from all over. It was probably, there was, I think, three or four kids from Richmond, and then the rest were either Northern Virginia kids or uh, right. we had a couple of kids from North Carolina, a kid from Pennsylvania. It was all over. Love it. So, I mean, it kind of comes to the point where you, re you realize you're pretty damn good. You get to like that high school age and you eventually choose the Slex Academy up in Connecticut. Kind of talk about that decision to go there. Were there any other maybe potential schools you were looking at, maybe up north, Boston, yeah, Connecticut, it, anything like that? South Kent? Yeah, South Kent School. So uh, that was my first and only choice, honestly. I knew the uh, coaching staff there really well because I played a couple summer tournaments with them growing up. So that was the only choice I really wanted. To, the only place I really wanted to go. I, uh, you know, when hockey in Richmond isn't the greatest, you guys know that <laughs> as much as I do. And, uh, you know, the, the level of play, I needed to go somewhere where I could uh, get noticed by scouts and other people. So South Kent was a really easy choice for me. I mean, it was a great campus. I had a great time there. It was a tremendous place where I, uh, I think I got a lot better. A pretty good oh, alumni list there too. I mean, you're playing, playing some top high schools in the country. So was that, was that a big jump going from Richmond to there? Yeah. I mean, Obviously, I'd played against some kids growing up and then all the top guys, but I never really played against them regularly. So it was definitely a big jump for me, but I'd say it was a pretty easy one after my, my freshman year was tough, but going into my sophomore year, I definitely had a ton, a lot more confidence. And uh, I thought that was a big, the biggest year for me. And well, I, we can't just skip past, uh, I mean, how you got there, right? We wouldn't be doing our due diligence if we didn't ask about RC. Yeah, so I actually never played for RC. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, the junior coach for the uh, Generals growing right. up. So I was always on the younger teams and stuff. But my dad and uh, another dad or another dad of the, one of the players, Pat Kelb, there are two coaches growing up probably from the time I was 10 till I left uh, to go to South Kent. There, love it. 
So kind of talk about your personal style a bit. What's your biggest strength out there on defense? I mean, and is there is there a guy in the NHL or maybe formerly in the NHL you model your game after? Were you always a D-man? I was not. I was a forward until I was probably 11, I want to say. So uh, okay. I'm a pretty offensive defenseman. That's uh, what people know about me. I mean, I'm working on my game trying to turn into more of a two-way defenseman, but I'd say my biggest strengths are my skating and my uh, my hands and my hockey IQ. Those are the the three things I think I'm best at. And uh, somebody I try to model my game after is Tory Krug. He's, I've loved watching him play. He was a four-year guy in college and he just, he worked his way into the NHL. He didn't get drafted. He wasn't picked on any of these teams. He wasn't expected to be there. And he just, he worked his way up and now he's one of the top defensemen in the NHL. I love the, uh, I love the hockey IQ there, Bob. Not many people pump their own brain right there. You love it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have to ask this as a, a closeted Flyers fan. Uh, what was Joel Farabee like playing as a U16er? He was unbelievable. Him and uh, Emilio Peterson, the kid that he plays with Calgary now, they were on a line together, and it was it was awesome to watch. They were two of the top players in the country when they were when I played with them. I played with Joel growing up a few more times, or a few times before South Ken, and uh, they were just something special. That line, his line, probably combined for 400 points the year I played <laughs> with them. It was ridiculous. They were they were something else. Love so you got to look forward to playing against him in a few years, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you take the USHL route, go to Tri-City, Tri-City Storm. Uh, let's talk about that rookie season a bit. I mean, all rookie team, all league second team, rookie of the year, 52 points in 56 games. What was it about that season where everything, I guess, just seemingly came so easy to you there? I, uh, I think it was – I went the right time. You know, I wasn't drafted the first two years in the USHL when I was eligible, and that kind of put a little chip on my shoulder that third year. I wanted to be a top pick. I wanted to be a guy that a team wanted me right from the get-go. So I came into a great situation in Tri-City. I was playing with a great defenseman with Ronnie Adder. He's another Philly guy. So uh, it was awesome. I mean, everybody there helped me so much. I mean, my confidence just grew tremendously being there. So you go from playing basically in your backyard to the best junior league in the country in a very short period of time. And you're, you're giving credit to, you know, your teammates and everything and your coaches for your development, but break down that that's a pretty big jump. Like, can you, can you, can you break us down or break that down or run us through that a little bit? Yeah, I'd say it was definitely tougher going from South Kent to juniors than it was from juniors to college. I just say my confidence wasn't like, wasn't as high going into juniors. I was wouldn't say I was scared, but it was just a little nerve wracking going into the top junior league in the world and in the U S and, uh, you know, know, the world, the world. Yeah. I will say the world. Yeah. (laughs) It was, uh, it was definitely tough, but I mean, I got there and right away I felt welcomed by the coaching staff and all the players. They helped me so much. I mean, that was just, that was awesome for me. I mean, I was in a great situation. I got to play power play penalty kill. I was, it was awesome for me. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of guys that a, just, you know, their first year of junior hockey is the United States Hockey League. I yeah, mean, I, you know, you're a rookie of the year, all, all second team and everything like that. So that's awesome, man. That's it's like people in this area, I think we're just getting a taste of it with the Black Bears in the North American League, but don't really know that there's this high level of hockey all over the country. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people know about hockey in Richmond. You guys know that in Virginia, actually. So it's uh, it was definitely nobody really knew about it, knew the jump that I made, but it's definitely, uh, it worked out for the best. Love it. So, I mean, I, I believe it's twice. Correct me if I'm wrong. You get to put on that Team USA jersey. You have the, I think it's the 2018-2019 Junior A Challenge, and then the year after that in Czech. But that the one in Canada right there is the one you guys went and went gold. So kind of talk about, I mean, you have a pretty good tournament yourself there. Talk about that experience right there, obviously. And then the, 
I think, I believe the year after that, you go to check, right? And you guys come up yeah. short, but talk about those two tournaments. Yeah, the World Junior A Challenge was awesome. I played with uh, two guys from my team, so I had some comfortability going in there. I played with guys growing up that uh, were on the team, so it was awesome. I mean, these guys were some of the best or the best players in the USHL at whatever age we were, the 19 and under age group. So, I mean, it was it was awesome going in there and winning gold and being able to wear the U.S. sweater every time is obviously a huge honor to get to represent your country. That was awesome for me. And the, the check was uh, that was something else. That was yeah. a whole different ball game. It was. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about game. the differences. Me and Billman were actually talking. We were talking about the tournaments and I was telling him, I was like, yeah, he's on the world junior squad. And then he was on like the U19 squad. Like what's the U19 tournament for? So the world junior A challenge was the one just the USHL players. So it okay. was whatever the 99 birth year through a one birth year of the year I was there. So that was, that was pretty awesome for me to get to experience that first. And then the, uh, the world juniors was, that was something, it was the best players in the world. That was. Well, we could spend dog. an hour just talking about the, the guys that played in that tournament. Oh my God. Caulfield, Zegris, everybody, all those guys that you are in the NHL now were on that team. And it was, it was something, I mean, I, went into camp that uh, summer and I didn't really expect much out of it. I just wanted to go and play my game. And then when I got the call in December that uh, I made the tryout squad again, it was, I wanted to go there and make the team. And I got pretty lucky. I'd say I was put into a good situation again there. And, you know, those, that turn was awesome. I mean, going, playing against Canada, that first game, it was sold mm -hmm. out in warmups. It was, it was crazy. I didn't, I'd never experienced something like that before. I mean, UMass, obviously we got a ton of fans, but, going there and playing in front of 15,000 sold out Canadian fans mm -hmm. in the Czech Republic. That was something else. Well, I, I, you, I know you, you mentioned when you were surprised when you got the call and I, I took note of a particular quote I found it said, not a clue in the world. Even last year, about this time when I was chosen for the all American prospects game, I didn't have a clue in the world that that even be an option. I guess I've always been a guy that kind of flew under the radar. And did that translate to, you know, the draft like when you were drafted did you know that was coming did you have an idea of like that what round like at what point in time did you you know figure out hey this is a legitimate option for me yeah so I mean the first half of the USHL my USHL year I didn't talk to any NHL scouts you know my teammates were always talking to scouts and stuff and I just never got to talk to anybody and the first team that talked to me was actually the Rangers in December and I was in shock when I first got to meet with somebody and uh from then on out, it just kind of rolled for me. I mean, the world, the All-American Prospects game, I, like I said, I had not a clue that I was going to make that game. Me and one of my teammates from South Kent made it, and I figured he would, but I was just in shock that I made it. And then once I made that game, it just kind of – it helped my confidence grow big time. I mean, I knew that I could play with the best players in the world, and, you know, it just – it helped me. Has it so, sunk in yet, man? I think I can still yeah. play with the best players in the world. I'm 28 <laughs> turning 29. Like – you're an NHL draft pick. Like, has that sunk in yet? I think it's sunk in more now. I mean, obviously, I try not to think about it that much. I mean, it's just – it's something that happened, and I'm trying to – the next goal is to make the NHL. So. Absolutely. Hey, well, don't worry. If you're not going to give yourself credit, we're going to pump your tires. And, <laughs> and when you get there, we'll be we'll be banging on the glass too. I appreciate that. Are you um you in contact a lot with the Rangers in terms of, like, did they kind of help you maybe steer you in the direction of in your offseason, like, hey, work on this, work with these people, this, that, and the other? Is that still pretty much all UMass is what you're concentrated on right now in terms of their staff and all of that? Yeah, so, I mean, last summer was obviously weird with COVID, but the year before that when I got drafted, I got to go to development camp, and they were, they were awesome there. Every year, I mean, they've been talking to me probably 
once or twice a month at least just about stuff I can work on in my game everything like that and then the UMass staff I I listen to more I'd say just right now just because I'm here yeah but you know the uh we come up here probably for four weeks I'd say and work out up here but the development part of this the game they've helped me tremendously they just they're always giving me points to work on my game which is awesome I mean that's what you want in a player or that's why I want in the development staff is somebody that's trying to push me to get me better so they've done a great job with that Uh, you're so complimentary of all your your teammates and everyone around you so I'm this is the last one I'm going to ask about but uh there's someone else that got drafted by the Rangers in the same year that you seem to have played with over and over um are you know Keandre Miller uh what's what's going on with him do you know did you talk to him when you got drafted has he been you know chatting with you are you guys you guys pretty close it seems like you got to keep following each other around right yeah so I didn't actually know Keandre at first like he got drafted the year before me and then I made the uh the summer showcase and he was there too so I talked to him more there and got to know him a little better and then I really got to know him at the world juniors you know he's a great kid and he's been tremendous this year for the Rangers he's he stepped in and worked his way into a top four spot into that lineup and he's been something that nobody expected honestly everybody kind of things I read and stuff, everybody was thinking, oh, he's going to go to the AHL, spend a year there. No, he just, he worked his way into that lineup and proved to people that he's, he deserved to be in the NHL. And it's, it's showing he's a great defenseman. He's somebody that, you know, he's six, four, 200 pounds, an athlete. That's, that's so hard to teach. You can't teach that. It's so when you're, you're, you're pumping his highlights and retweeting them, is he going to return the favor for you? I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> I hope All the so. rags fans to see. Yeah. So let's get into some college here. We'll start with the recruiting process. Kind of how did that go down? I'm sure you visited multiple schools. Um, and inevitably, what was the deciding factor to make you choose uh, UMass? So I, uh, I only got recruited by like two schools. Wow, was, really? Yeah. So my, uh, I committed my right after my U, second U16 year at South Kent. So going into my junior year that summer. I committed here and it was, it was between here and union and the deciding factor was the coaching staff and the culture that they built here. I mean, the year before I committed here, they'd won five games, 10 games, something like that. But I just had a feeling that, you know, this coaching staff was going to work their way into the top, a top program in the country. And, you know, you bring in guys like Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro, John Leonard, those guys, they, they turn the ship around here. All those guys, the seniors here that are with me now. Rather quickly too. Yeah, really quickly. It was something that I never expected. I mean, I went into my USHL year and they were a top team in the country. I was like, holy cow, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. This is, this is what I want to do. This is the, this, this is what I signed up for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, literally. Exactly. So they were, uh, the coaching staff here was so welcoming. I mean, I was five, five, maybe 120 pounds when they committed me, but they just had faith in me. And that was the biggest thing for me was having somebody that believed in me and believed in my game. And they had it from the get-go. Love it. I mean, an impressive freshman year too, that 320 and 23 point wise. Uh, that We did see some Rangers articles. A lot of them questioned you, you know, sustaining that productivity. And you kind of basically said, hold my beer, watch this. And your, your, your season right now, your sophomore season has been fucking, you lighten it up again. So, I mean, I'm curious in terms of that off season from your frost year to this year now, Anything specifically you, you worked on? Like what was the biggest part of your game that you had to uh, improve? And then where all did you train and whatnot? So I was up in Michigan last summer for 10 weeks, I think it was, working out with like the guys I was playing with the World Juniors team, Caulfield, uh, all those oh, top guys that yeah. played on the 
uh, national team program. So are you was, training was, at the at the national development place? I was, yes. So I was right working on. out there five times a week. I was skating with uh, a skills coach up in Detroit for four times a week. It was it was awesome. This was the best summer I've had so far in my life because you know in Richmond there's great hockey players. I know a couple yeah. kids that are great players, but it doesn't compare. Well, I was just going to say, they definitely don't have that, you know, that, that, that's a, that's a top of the top of the line training center for the national development team there. You, you don't get that in your backyard. No, exactly. I mean, I can do all the push-ups and sit-ups I want at home, but going up there, that was, that was something else for me. I mean, I worked on everything, my body, my conditioning, my. Well, and every, everyone else there's doing the same thing as you, right? Like you, you're surrounding yourself with like-minded folk. Exactly. I was, I was surrounded by the best players in the country and that just pushed me to get that much better. Cause I wanted to, I want to be one of those guys. That's yeah. the goal I have. And, you know, getting to work out with them every day and see what they do all the time. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. So and, and not just players, but coaches too. I mean, the amount of like talent it comes through coaching wise in and out of those doors, probably on a weekly basis is just, oh, like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was awesome. It was, I was seeing NHL coaches, NHL scouts yeah. walk in, just talking to guys. Like it was, it was pretty impressive up there. There it is. Well, that's awesome, man. But let's let's get to the present here. I know you got a busy week. We don't want to keep you too long. Um, but you guys on a tear this year, 18, 5, and 4. Um, what's 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 making this group click? Like, what's so special? Is there a particular motivation? Or is everyone, you know, eyes on the prize? It's, it's not a lot going on in the outside world right now. Yeah, we don't, we don't listen to anything from the outside world. We're, our team is awesome. I mean – we don't have really anybody that's a top end pick or a top skill guy. We just have a bunch of guys that want to win and want to win a national championship. So that's uh that's awesome to be a part of. I mean, guys are coming in early every day. I mean, that's, that's so inspiring to see as a young guy when your captain's coming in at eight o'clock in the morning, getting a workout in, you know, that's, that's awesome. And uh, our team is just, we're a bunch of grinders pretty much. I, that's is. the best way to put it. I mean, we muck, we grind and we just wear teams down and it's, it's been awesome so far. I mean, I'm so excited for this Frozen Four run we have and uh, mm -hmm. hopefully to get that national championship. Yeah, and I mean, you guys, it, it clearly shows you win the first ever hockey's tournament in program history. You make the all-tourney team. Talk about uh, kind of what that means to the program. Obviously, you came in, like you mentioned back a couple minutes ago, you come in at the five-win team and now you're winning the first hockey's championship in yeah, program it's history awesome. there. It's pretty cool to be a part of the first hockey's team or hockey's winning team in that this school, I mean, all the guys that have been here the year that they made to the national championship game, you would have thought they would have won it then. But even last year, we had a guys, I mean, we lost Kale McCarr, Mario Ferraro, and everybody kind of thought, you know, UMass is going to drop down. And that just gives us a little extra motivation, you know. I mean, people are always doubting us. They're always going to doubt us. But we know what we have in that locker room, and we know what we're capable of. And I mean, and obviously winning a conference championship, whether it's basketball here, coming to the March Madness to Frozen Four, the run. I mean, you win that conference championship. And I feel like every time a squad does, your mindset just immediately like, yeah, this is great. But like thought process, like, all right, we're immediately now going to go make a run for a natty. Yeah, exactly. That kind of first thought you get in that locker room after that game. Yeah, we obviously we celebrated for that night. And that was it. We just turned the page and we're focusing now on the national championship. That's uh, that was our main focus last week. And we won the regionals. So uh now we got two more games. Take us through, you know, where you guys are at right now. Are you in a bubble? Did they, where was the tournament taking place? What's going on there? So in Bridgeport, it was, we were staying in a hotel. We had to quarantine for a day and a half. The day we got there and then another day after. And then 
we're just we're still on campus. I've been at UMass since August. Haven't left. Didn't get to go home for Christmas, Thanksgiving, none of that stuff. But uh, it's been awesome. I mean, the bubble in Pittsburgh, I think, is the same thing as Bridgeport. So we'll be there, get there Monday, and then quarantine for a day and a half, and then get back on the horse, get prepared for Duluth. So that first game, you guys, you know, you play Lake State. Uh, three apples, not a big deal. Like, well, take us through, you know, how, the, how that game went for you guys. You know, that wasn't even our best game. I thought our Bemenji game was 10 times better than the Lake State game. You know, we uh, we have a certain style that we play, and we hold ourselves to such a high standard that if we drop off from that standard at all, you're going to hear it from our coaching staff. You're going to hear it from our head coach, and it's awesome. That's what you want. We just beat a team 5-1, and our coach was not yelling at us, but he was just giving us pointers and saying the next morning pretty much, we got to be better against Bemenji. Well, yeah, I'm gonna call. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Zach. I had a few. Uh, we had a few defensive breakdowns against Lake State, and that could have cost us the game. But we got a tremendous goalie in Freelay Lindbergh. He's been lights out this year, so that obviously doesn't hurt. And then uh, going into Bemenji, we just we locked him down. That was our goal, and we played a much better game against Bemenji than Lake State. Well, good journalism. My follow-up question was: You play Lake State, give up 30 shots, you still pump them but then you go and play Bemidji and only give up 18 shots. My follow-up was going to be, what is the defensive style from that game to the next one and then heading into the Frozen Four? We're just a, we're a hard, we're a defensive team. That's our mindset. I mean, we have a couple goals on the board, and one of them is just to be below two goals against every game. And that's uh, something, that we, something that we pride ourselves on, is being a, defense, a good defensive team. And, uh, you know, we – didn't play our best defensive game against Lake State. They had a few chances where, you know, you need your goalie to make a few saves. And having Philae back there, it's definitely uh, pretty nice. So going into Bemenji, we knew we had to be better for him because he was he was there for us against Lake State. We had to be better yeah. for him against Bemenji. And that that's what, uh, what we accomplished, I'd say. So while playing in that defensive style, you're a guy that puts points on the board. Are you, are you getting the green light in certain situations? Or what can you attribute – you know, the, the two years of pretty darn good production. So I, I mean, our coaches give me the green light whenever they know I'm an offensive guy. You know, the one thing when I got here was they wanted my defensive game to be 10 times better than it was. And so I had to work on that. The first couple of games in college were definitely hard hitting bigger guys going against faster guys. So uh, the biggest thing that they told me when I came in was we need you to be a two way to player. We need you to be out there against other guys' top lines and stuff like that. So, you know, the offensive side of the game, they don't really tell me anything. Just the defensive side has been uh, something that they've worked on with me most on, and uh, it's been great. So you don't, don't have the Patrick Line A conversation going on? No, not at all. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys are a team. We just talked about it coming in. You got a 5-1 win. You got a 4 nothing win. It seems like you're kind of rolling here. And then Minnesota Duluth, the semifinal here on Thursday, they're a team coming off of that 5-4 five overtime game. So kind of what's the scouting report here on Duluth? What's it going to take for you guys to pull out the win and head to that national championship? Yeah, I mean, Duluth's a great team. They've been in the national championship the past two years. They've won it two years in a row. So, I mean, it's going to be a fun game. I mean, we haven't really done much scouting on them yet, but we know that they're a similar team to us, defensive. They play a really structured game, and they don't get off the page at all. They know uh, they don't beat themselves. That's the way uh, they play, and we just know that if we play our style and play our game, it should be fine. Do you notice a, a different style from the East Coast to those, you know, the Midwest guys in college at all? A little bit, yeah. I mean, obviously, East Coast teams, we got 
uh, BC, BU, all these top end guys and stuff. But uh, you can tell the NCHC and the, those leagues out there are pretty, they're harder. They're definitely harder players. They just, they grind just like us. I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be a grind. That's yeah. <laughs> the best right. way I got, the best thing I got for it. So, I mean, outside of hockey and this run you guys have been on, let's just take it from winning that hockey East and up until now out, outside of the rink, what kind of what's been the most enjoyable part about the, the entire run here? I mean, just being around the guys all the time. I mean, we haven't really, obviously COVID rules, we can't really yeah. hang out with anybody. So we just, we hang out with it as a team and that's been, uh, it's why we're so close. And I think that's why we've uh, accomplished so much this year is just being around the guys all the time has been awesome. I mean, you never get, you never get tired of seeing your teammates and it's been great. Yeah. Bobcat. Got two follow-up questions. First one is uh, what's behind the, the number, any, any decision-making in the number process? Nope. Just random. random. <laughs> just I had a few random choices at the, the beginning of my freshman year and just got stuck with 24. I've always yeah, had, a, gonna, I've always had random numbers growing up. You're going to so keep I, it. You're going to keep that. Or are you just going to wait till you get to the Rangers and they're just like, all right, here's, here's whatever number you get. I think that's what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't well, they give you that. a dev camp. I was 86 at development camp. So that's his day. Young bees are there. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of random numbers I get. So I, I'm cool with whatever number I get. I don't. My uh, my last my last follow up question is: What were your thoughts on Barrelgate this year? On who? Say again. On on Barrelgate with the World Junior Squad. Where they oh, had the, the uh, oh my yeah. god! The barrel, oh my! I didn't even like. I had no idea what that was. Honestly, I was so confused when I saw them take a picture with that. I was, I was lost. I hadn't. So you didn't guys didn't do that the year before. No, we had nothing like that. It was. <laughs> That was something new to me, and that was pretty crazy to see. I mean, obviously they took a lot of heat for it, but they had a reason behind it, and they accomplished their goal. That was that was awesome to see the guys that uh, you know I played with the year before come back and have such a great term in Zegras. So that guy's something else. So I mean, he's all right. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's a decent player. So, uh, I guess my my last question is: Did you grow up? I mean, you stayed in the the DMV for a while. Are you a Caps fan? Or were you a Caps fan? Sorry, because you're a Rangers fan now. Nope. I uh, <laughs> I hated the Capitals growing up. I hated them just because of all the bandwagon Richmond fans oh, yeah. that would always yeah. hop on the train. We'll scrub and... this. We'll scrub it. Yep. I was an Ottawa fan growing up. Wow. Yeah. Why? So, uh, my dad knew the for the Senators when uh, they made it to the Cup in like 05 or 06. So uh, he got us tickets to go up there and see them. I got to go down to the locker room. Danny Heatley used to be my favorite player. That's why I wore 15 and 51 growing up there because of him. And uh, then Eric Carlson got there, and, you know, it, he's a great player. He's somebody that used to be my favorite player. He still is. And, uh, you know, that was the reason. How about that clapper in the shootout? You see that? That was something. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> well, totally Hartman did it right be- well, Hartman like, yeah. did it right beforehand, so Carlson just went down. And whatever. Yeah, he had to. You had to one-up them a little bit. <laughs> love it. Love it. So Thursday night, right? Semifinal, 9 p.m. Hopefully you guys get to get it done. We'll be cheering for you, obviously. Local guy just in the Frozen Four, man. We're pumped for it. We're definitely I pumped for it. it guys. Thank you very much. All yeah, right, Zach. Thanks. Take care, buddy. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. We now welcome on a very awesome guest, Frederick, Maryland native, a 2018 gold medalist in the Pyeongchang Paralympics, gold medalist in the 2019 Ostrava World Championships, and silver medalist in the 2017 World Championships. Team USA sled hockey player, No Grove. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me on. 
no problem. Glad to have you on. I was pumped. Sandy, Sandy shot me that text the other day and was like, Hey man, like you want to get no grove on like Olympic medalist, sled hockey players. Like, hell yeah, dude, Maryland kid. Why not? Let's do it. You, you So do you train a lot down there? You hang out with Sandy a bit? Yeah. Yeah. I've been training with him for, I think like three months now. I just wanted to get some extra training in since um, a lot of our camps got postponed and moved around. So wanted to keep fresh, keep, you know, in shape. Um, that's been the goal. I feel you. Do you, so do you take, do you take the sled down there and all and that synthetic ice and everything? Yeah. How's that? How, like, what's the difference? Um, there's not as much glide, so yeah. it's actually helped my stride really a makes lot. Work. Yeah. You work yeah. in those arms. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it, he's helped a lot though. You know, he's cleaned up a lot of like form that, um, he was able to translate from stand up hockey to sled hockey. Um, so that kind of stuff has, has been a huge help. Love it. Love it. So we'll start here. And obviously, you know, you wouldn't be on the sled hockey team unless it weren't for, you know, the amputated leg. So kind of take us through that story for you and how that all came about and just give the listeners kind of a backstory before we get into the actual hockey itself. Yeah, for sure. So in 2004, I was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, otherwise known as bone cancer. Um, I had to have my left leg amputated through the knee um, that summer. Um, I was on chemo for about eight months um, and got my first prosthetics like after that. I didn't get into sled hockey until I just typically played able-bodied sports. I you know, didn't see myself as disabled. I didn't need a wheelchair, just had the prosthetic. Right. I could move around really well. Um, so as a kid, I grew up playing you know, just all your typical sports like baseball, soccer, basketball, that kind of thing. Um, but in 2011, um, my mom introduced me to the Kennedy Krieger Institute, um, who had a sled hockey team and they were holding like a try sled hockey event. Um, and they've been asking me to join for ever since I was in the hospital, actually, they had reached out. Um, I was at Georgetown pediatric hospital, gotcha. um, and Kennedy Krieger is located in Baltimore. Uh, and they had asked me to, um, come try sled hockey. So, you know, my mom said, get in the car, we're going somewhere. And <laughs> I tried sled hockey, they fell in love and the rest is history. So she kind of like forced it on you in a way. She's like, Hey, well, I'm not going to tell him we're going to try hockey. Yeah, we're going to try hockey. It sounded like it was a little reluctant on your end, perhaps. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wasn't the most uh, adventurous um, kid back then. That's for sure. So initial reaction showing up to play sled hockey. Were you like, what, what the hell are we doing here, mom? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I had followed hockey a bit, like with the caps being here and all, but yeah, I, we weren't really a big hockey family. Like my, right. uh, my granddad and dad were both in the horse racing industry. My dad was all state soccer player growing up in high school. My brother played soccer. So like we were big, like soccer family essentially. And um, I, I, I got hooked on it to be honest. I wish I had started earlier. I didn't start skating until I was eight. I wish I started earlier, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So, so what we do with all the local guys on these episodes is just kind of take it in order of your career. So, we just went through how you kind of got started in hockey, but when was the first time or who was the first club you got with and then kind of progressed us up into kind of when you got to the uh, development camp there? Yeah, it was, was Kennedy Krieger. You said that was the first team that reached out to you? Yeah, so their sled hockey team, the Bennett Blazers, they had a, a junior sled hockey team. They, um, they're an institute for um, mental and physical disabilities. You know, they have physical therapy, things along uh, of that nature. Um, and they had like a bunch of sports for disabled children. And um, so I played like a bunch of sports with them growing up. I did, I did a triathlon. I played some wheelchair basketball, wheelchair softball. Um, I was involved with them pretty heavily. 
Um, but sled hockey was my main sport. Um, my first, I think I, I played two years of juniors before I ended up getting moved up to an adult team. Um, but that was just because I made the development team. Um, but I played against like a bunch of kids who eventually made the development team, and made the national team. Like my roommate on the national team, Jack Wallace, we made the team the same year. We played against each other in juniors, played against each other in adults on the development team together, all that good stuff. You were talking about the uh, development team. Um, what was that process like? Did, was that, again, you reached out or found a tryout, or did they find you? Um, so, yeah, so that process um, involves going from your coach will recommend you for the development camp that happens okay. um, in Buffalo, New York every summer. And so the sled development camp, they have a bunch of different age groups um, for, like, stand-up players, like, a lot of like the NHL guys like from the US like go through there like they all go through that program um, a lot of the women's national team players like they'll also like go to those camps um, and then they also have the sled camp which is the development camp is mainly for like younger players who are looking to make the development team at one point but also right. guys like adults who haven't been playing the sport for as long and have potential and could potentially make the development team um, there's always like some kind of someone who was either in a car accident or they were in the military and like who hadn't been playing as long. And then there's kids who, you know, come from all walks of life, whether they were born that we'll way. What kind of get to that, but is, is the majority of it military guys? No, or, no, it's just kind of all spread out. Yeah. I th on the national team, there's seven military guys, okay. if I'm not mistaken. So how big is the, the para hockey community? I know. Um, I mean, you, you go to UNH, but I think you're home right now. Right. But you're, you're skating right. with Sandy. Is there places for you to practice with a team or do you have a team up North when you're away at school? And how do you stay sharp for the national program? Yeah. So I actually, um, transferred to Towson university. Okay. Um, fall of 2019. Got to fact um, check that. Yeah. That's on me. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but call USA hockey and complain that their buyers are updated. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll call them. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I still play for the University of New Hampshire team. Um, they typically have strict rules. Um, I know we're getting a bit off track, but they, they typically have strict rules on like who you can play for for club and all that. Um, but I said, look, like these are some of my best friends. Like there's a reason I went right. up here to school. Like I want to play with them. Um, but as far as like staying sharp and uh a lot of guys get like personal trainers like we get um stipends specifically for to pay for whatever kind of trainer we want and equipment we need you can see the the skier g i have right, right here in right. the background i'm on that like every other day um you know they they help us with ice time and everything but for the most part like guys will get together on their own like uh, i think we've met like unofficially a uh, probably about a dozen national team players like for each unofficial event just to skate and with each other and, and be around each other and um, just to keep keep sharp since we're not having camps. But typically we would have a camp like every month with club games every month and everyone's pretty much on their own. Do you have national uh, teammates around the area or at least in the, the relatively close area? Um, <laughs> I think the closest is like Massachusetts. So no. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm, I'm kind of curious as you talk about training. Um, what is that training process like in terms of like when you're working out and trying to perfect your game? Uh, it's, 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 it's gotta be totally different than somebody who's training. That's like on the 
on the high school team or something? Like what muscles are you working? What body parts do you work in? Are you working those hands and wrists a lot since you're turning and cutting? Like what's, what's that training program like? Right, right. So it, it, it is pretty similar to uh, stand-up hockey, but instead of focusing like a lot on like leg strength and explosiveness in your legs, it's right. shoulders, right. lats, delts, triceps, that kind of like all upper body for sure. Love it, love it. Do you, so do you ever we play wouldn't any excel. At, we wouldn't excel at that. Yeah, we wouldn't excel at all. These traps are very weak. You ever play any <laughs> stand-up hockey at all? Since you got the prosthetic, you throw some skates on. Uh, I play street hockey out in the cul-de-sac with love my it. friends in the neighborhood. Um, I'm a, I'm a whiz at that. I think I'm pretty good, but whatever. I mean, you're the only gold medalist in the neighborhood. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They just uh, turned so, 21. Break that out at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I I read that your first time with the national team, it was you, you you said quote that it was a tough season due to your lack of confidence. What what made it so tough? I mean, what wasn't working, and was it just the mental stuff, or what was it? So I'm not sure like how much um, you guys know about this, but originally when I was picked for the team, I personally felt like it was not my time. And which is fine, um, but a little premature, co- maybe. Yeah, but there were players on the team who expressed that I was ready and that I could take the next step. And the coaching staff, um, uh, headed by Jeff Sauer, um, also believed that it was I was ready to for the jump to the national team. Um, and, and sadly, he pa- I get the team was picked in July, and sadly he passed away in December um, before we could go to uh, the World Championships. Uh, five months later um and that probably killed my confidence a bit um right. you know they brought in they brought in a new coach um and and hats off to, to guy goslin for all the work he did and everything um the system was just not like for me like he played more of like a uh fast like grinding system and i'm more of a puck possession forward like i'm gonna move the puck around and get it to open guy kind of thing yeah, I mean, you. Uh, what was that that transformation from year one to year two? Was there something that that switched or something that clicked, or um, what was the development like for you? Um, I'd say that development, like more or less, happened from uh, the after the Paralympics to the World Championships in 2019. Um, I was just, and, and not that I wasn't working hard for the Paralympics. That was the hardest I've ever trained right. in my life but I was extremely consistent with my workouts. I was gaining weight. Like, I think I gained like maybe 10 pounds from the Paralympics to the next world championships. And I had all the confidence in the world. I went from, I'm pretty certain I had two minutes and 30 seconds in the gold medal medal game in Pyeongchang. Um, but no, I think I looked. It was like four fourteen. Don't sell yourself short. Four, hey, that's, that's four more minutes. That's four more minutes of a gold medal game I've ever played in. Right. Um, <laughs> but in the gold medal game a year later at the World Championships in Ostrava, I think I played like nineteen or twenty minutes Love as it. a forward. So getting those Duncan Keith minutes up front. <laughs> yeah, so that... uh, I, I mean, we can't. We, we've we've been fact checked a couple times here, but I did some digging uh nicknames peaches is that what the boys call you or is that a family nickname or where's that come from what yeah. do the boys call you in the locker room <laughs> as you can I, I'll, I'll explain the story and then I'll, i'm showing you a real life example now um <laughs> but uh so we had my i think it was like my second camp with the national team we had a joint camp with the development team they like to get like all the guys together see where everyone's at like it's good competition everyone loves it um 
and we had a meeting with USADA, which is the U.S. Anti-Doping yeah. Agency, and they were doing like a, a presentation for us. And at the end, they were they were answering questions and like asking questions. And if you answered a question or asked a question, you got like a prize. And um, I was feeling a little bit co- confident, and I ended up I asked some kind of not like backhand question, but like a sarcastic like. Uh, like joking question and the lady who was giving the presentation uh, said to me well when you make the national team you'll find out not knowing that I was already on the national team and had already been drug tested and everyone started laughing at me and everything my face got all bright red pink that you're seeing now Um, and someone said man Noah's face is so red it looks like a peach and like with the peach fuzz I got on my face and everything that's that's funny as hell man we, we couldn't have been like couldn't have been like apples you could, you could, i yeah, mean your puck possession Jesus. yeah you no, want to find the yeah. open player Could, we, maybe we can change that <laughs> noah apples <laughs> maybe uh, i love it though so like we said we just kind of talked about it uh you said you're kind of a puck moving guy i mean i was gonna ask you what what your role is on a team i mean sniper grinder like you said baxter mask maybe this uh puck moving guy but is there any player in the nhl you kind of try to model your game after that style you like any any anyway um a lot of like the film I've been watching, so yeah, to I believe that I'm more of like a puck mover, like possession forward, like I can get the puck to some of the open guy and, and they go score the goal. Um, kind of like a backstrom esque, but lately I've been watching a lot of film on guys who also focus more on the defensive side. That's kind of where I need to improve my game, being like so small. Um, so one of the guys I've been so watching. So some two way, two way. Yeah, yeah, I think that would like help complete my game a bit more. And someone I've been watching has been Brad Brad Marchand. Oh, um, <laughs> um, other than the, like Sean Couturier or something, <laughs> he's a little bit too big for me. See, Brad, you're already watching Brad's Boston. Close to my you're size. not watching Bergeron. Come on, yeah, uh, he's more. But Brad's more like my size, and yeah, yeah, you know, true, all that true, stuff, true. So. Oh, so can you uh, take us through your first international goal? What was that like? The first time we're in that Team Ooh. USA jersey. Um, I don't think I scored my first goal until like my fourth or fifth game. I think people started bragging on me because I'd been scoring in practices and stuff. And they were like, oh, well, you haven't gotten your your first goal yet kind of thing. It only took you four games in international competition. Yeah, yeah right. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were playing Germany at Worlds okay. in 2017. And uh, we were already up six nothing, <laughs> and and uh, coach had coach was playing me a, a lot just so I could try to get like that first goal, um, and I was the center on that line at at that point. I ended up getting moved um, later in the tournament, but I got thrown out of the face off circle, and we had someone else come in and and take the face off, and he lost it directly back. Well, every single time they hadn't set a defender on the goal line there. Um, and Germany had been playing like really compact, like in their defense. Like if you w- took the puck around the net, like they weren't going to challenge you, like at all. Like they were just going to let you go like all the way around. They're packing um, it in and making you do all the work. Yeah, yeah. And so the 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 German center won it straight back, um, right to the goal line. I picked the puck up, uh, got it ar- behind the net, put, picked my head up, and saw that they weren't coming like to me. So I had you a lot Michiganed of- it. <laughs> no, I didn't. Really. But I did like go around the net, like left-handed, um, and roofed it backhanded. That was oh. my first international goal. Dude, so I, side... I feel like a lot. I feel like most, like every time I'm watching sled hockey, it's just nonstop snipes. Like every goal is just 
bar down and roofed. It's nice. Yeah, a, a lot of the goalies aren't as good, uh, like up top, just because like right. they're sitting down. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, some of the better goalies in the world, for some odd reason, shooting low on them is like the way to go. I'm not okay. quite sure why, but okay. So um, after you won the gold medal, uh, you got to meet Ovi. You got to see the cup. Like, what was that like? That had to be pretty awesome. Like, two two champs, top of the sport. Like, what was that experience like? And I mean, it sounds like you're a Boston fan, but that's still gonna be pretty freaking cool, right? No, I'm a I'm a Caps fan. Caps okay, okay. Team. I was I was super psyched when they won the cup. Um, so at he came with the cup. Ovechkin came with the cup to Georgetown Pediatric Hospital. Um, and they invited me to come, you know, see the cup, bring the gold medal, get some pictures, that kind of thing. He was so drunk. It was, it was hilarious. <laughs> At you the could, hospital? Yeah, you could smell oh, it on no. him. I mean, it was like four days after, like, yeah, they won yeah. the cup. Like, that's awesome. He's partying for months after. That's yeah. so sick. Um, but and it you, was super And you cool. took the gold medal and, like, <laughs> I wish you had one of these, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, right. I was wearing it, and, like, you could tell he was out of it, like, and he just kind of looked at it. He was like, oh, I, that's cool. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> sick thanks um but yeah it was it was super cool like getting to meet him and getting to hold the cup and everything i know some people don't like it that you get to hold the cup but it's only a once in a lifetime experience yeah, well, honestly, you have a gold like, medal you have a gold medal you yeah, tell yeah, them, hey on. you can hold my gold medal while i pick the cup up here yeah, yeah right. like a little give and take here over you don't have one of these i don't have one of those <laughs> you know what i mean i shouldn't be dogging a guy like that but uh i kind of want to go back to the 2018 paralympics where you said you know that after that is when you really kind of improved your game, but I mean, still two goals, two assists for four points. Um, I'm sure you remember those two goals big time was, was one of them that German goal or was that, or was that two different goals? Um, one was the first goal against Italy in the semifinal game. And the other was against Japan. So you opened the scoring in the semifinal. What was that like? Take um, us through that goal a little bit. So Japan. we had started off pretty rough. I normally, against teams other than Canada, we would have scored like five minutes into the game. But I think uh-huh. there was like two minutes left in the period and we were like struggling against them. Um, and they might have, they might have, they might have shut us out in the first period. So it was either late in the, late in the first or early in the second. Um, uh, Nico Landeros, one of the defensemen was coming on a break. He shot the puck just hard on that um, goalie, bounced it up into the air like he saved it like straight up into the air and the puck landed in the crease and I got there just in time and just chop gold it in from inside the crease love it love yeah. it so we I, we kind of mentioned this earlier but playing on that U.S. national team and some other high level sled teams I'm sure you've met uh you know a ton of guys with incredible stories whether that was former military uh maybe some guys like in your situation that had the cancer and had to get an amp- amputation or something like that but I'm curious if there's one guy in who had a story that really stuck out to you that you kind of will always remember maybe like one guy in his story um, that really meant a lot to you or anything. Yeah. So I, this summer when um, like COVID really started hitting and we were doing like weekly zoom calls with the national team. Right. Um, we uh, maybe it was earlier than that. I think it was, I think it was like January, like right before, um COVID like really hit we had a camp um and it was around the time of like the Black Lives Matter movement um and our team like the Sladaki team is pretty diverse like we have a mm-hmm. lot of people from different backgrounds whether it's military or ethnicity or you know whatever and I remember sitting in the room and 
and the coaches had the guys who are um not like not white um they they came up and they you know told their stories about growing up and all the shit they've been through and everything and and that that stuff really stuck out like i think mm-hmm. to everyone on the team including the guys who had shared their stories and it was just stuff like wow like these are our brothers and like th- this is the hard shit that they've gone through and and that stuff like really inspired me i think like we became really close as a team so on the to, to lighten it a little bit is there guys i mean i know you guys have to travel a lot and when you get together it's probably a lot of business but are you guys still pulling you know typical locker room pr- pranks or there is there guys on the team that you always have to be on the lookout for yeah. who's the, and, who's and, the guy in the locker room and what's your role up? yeah like are you on the aux <laughs> are you the dj like no 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 um i'd say i'm kind of like the little brother on the team i'm not the youngest anymore but I look the youngest, so. Um, Peaches, baby. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, hey, being the youngest, you get away with some. <laughs> I know from experience. Yeah, I definitely get away with some uh, shenanigans, like you know, say like a joke or something. I'll definitely get away with it. Um, but yeah, like you know, I get the typical like little brother treatment, like kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we talk like every day. Like we have a, our group chats on the national team and. Every, someone is saying something every day whether it's like to promote something or whether it's like banter about the super bowl upcoming like right. you know um there's always always something uh to talk about on the national team so you've got to travel a ton um what's what are the places that have stuck out the most to you whether it's been the people or the food or the view like what are some of the the, the favorite places you've, you've been been to so far uh korea is definitely up there um that was super cool like just getting being able to like be in the village like all the ceremonies and everything um the food like we're huge asian cuisine fans on the national team everyone eats it so when we were able to go down to the go down um downtown gangyun um we were able to get some korean barbecue which was super cool um legit yeah yeah it was awesome um and then when we went to Ostrava, we took a, a day trip to Prague, which was super cool. That probably the most beautiful city I've ever seen in my life. Um, and right before the Paralympics, we had a trip to uh, Turin, Italy. Um, and the food there, I, I've never had better food. That, we, we all ate good for, for a week straight, that's for sure. For, for someone that didn't want to play hockey, uh, it, it seems like it's going pretty well, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I love it. I'm hooked to it. Kind of want sure. to build off that last question, Bob. What are the worst countries you've been to? Where's the place you showed you up to and you're like, ah, ugh, when are we getting um, the hell out of here? Like, should I, we lose so we can lose, leave earlier? <laughs> right. Any brutal hotels or like just bad um, travel nightmares? The So there's a tournament every year that Canada hosts called the Canadian, I think it's now called like the Canadian Tire Para Ice Hockey Cup or something like that. Um, and we always go down there. It's us, Canada, and they'll invite like some other teams, like Korea, Czech, Russia. Um, and one of the times we stayed there in Prince Edward Island, the hotel we were staying at, the food they served was terrible. <laughs> like, PEI is supposed to be beautiful, isn't it? Not in December. No, <laughs> no. It was raining every day. It was so cold, and. The food at the hotel that they were serving us was not great. 
by any means. So we would we would come in for lunch or breakfast and we would sit down and we'd look at it and we'd be like, Coach, we're going to the cafe across the street and get, get lunch or breakfast. Well you'll yeah. have to ask you'll have to ask Coach Gorder about the uh, cafeteria food in Botano because it is <laughs> I'm sure it's it's probably worse than the uh, Prince Edward Island Hotel. I'll I'll be sure to ask him about that. So let's 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 continue the trend of Canada being bad here and let's talk about that gold medal game the 2-1 OT winner uh talk about that game as a whole I mean that's a one nothing game Canada seemingly that entire game and then I think it's like 40 or 50 seconds left it's a tie game and then it's an OT winner and I mean I've won some big games in my life but I've never won a gold medal game so what were the emotions like for you and the team and all that stuff yeah so I what had happened was um I think like later in the first period, we were playing like really sloppy and um, we were four checking down their zone. Um, one guy misses Mark. And then, so it was, it was four on three coming back the other way. I did not get on my man in time and he made the pass across and that guy ended up scoring to, to go up one nothing. Um, I actually didn't play the rest of the game after that, to be honest with you. Which is fine. I mean, we needed we did what we needed to do to win, um, but you know, I think at first, like I kind of felt like like worthless, like useless. But you know, I realized like quickly that hey, we're playing for something bigger than you know my emotions and my feelings right now. Like we gotta fucking win this shit. <laughs> Hell yeah, baby, love it. So I've I've got uh, I've only got two more questions for you. Um, Last one is, I know you said you grew up playing uh, a bunch of able body sports, your big soccer family, um, but you're, you're hooked on hockey now. What's, what's the, the true passion as far as sports go? I mean, you've got to play football, you've got to play uh, on the, the able body and para level. Like what, what's, what's the, the, the favorite, I would say. Definitely hockey. Okay. I mean, All right. I, I had I didn't need to put you on the spot. <laughs> I, I had my dabble with, with um amputee soccer. I played on the national team for like not a big deal. Years. Yeah. Not yeah. A Dual sport deal. national team. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the World Cup at 15. Like, no big deal. So yeah. No big deal. deal. Right? I told you he's going to be bringing <laughs> the gold medal out to the bar. Oh, did I, I forgot to take this off. <laughs> I actually hate the attention. Damn it again. Like, I, oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'll bring that out for sure. I'm sure. I'm just busting your balls, man. I know. Um, so, uh, I've only got one more Billman. Um, but I, I, you know, obviously we Googled you and, uh, one of the first things I clicked on was the, the children's cancer foundation. Is there a, a specific community or, um, fundraiser or group that you work with, uh, either with the program or locally that, uh, quick plug for? Yeah. The children's cancer foundation, for sure. I, I go out to their gala every year. Um, unfortunately not this year because of COVID, um, but my family used to run a wiffle ball tournament where we would raise money for the Georgetown Pediatric Center, um, just raising money, like helping out, like with research and stuff. And we would probably make upwards of like 15K a year just to donate to them and everything. But yeah, the uh, Childhood Cancer Foundation and Georgetown Pediatric Cancer Center are, are my two big ones. So when these things pop up, you got to send us some links and we'll be firing it all over the social media. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, for sure. I will. Last one I got is it's just kind of a simple one, may, maybe simple, may not be, but kind of what's next or what does the future hold for Peaches here? I mean, is it just continuous? I mean, you're a young kid still. You got a lot of hockey left in you. Are you about to just rack up, you know, well, see how many gold medals are, we can get here? Or are you still in school for biomed? Like what's, what's the... No, so okay. I ended up changing my major to um, 
family and and human sciences um so i'm on the child life track and another and- big brain <laughs> guest bill no we gotta stop getting these big brain guys on man they're making me feel dumb yeah so i decided to choose this route just because like when i was going through chemo um one of the biggest supporters for me and one of the most influential people in the hospital was my child life specialist um so that's something that really hit home for me i'd like to play hockey as long as i can obviously um health health uh permitting um so i'm going to continue like be in shape get you know be the best that i can be i am on pace to graduate from towson in fall of 22 so i'll take that semester that spring semester off for the paralympics and then graduate in the fall um and then after that the sky's the limit um i'd like to go till at least 26 um but i know i can definitely go to more if, if why 26 uh, um i feel like that would just be a good like stopping point because um, i feel like that that age range is kind of like when athletes hit their prime and whatnot is it is that something you could ever go back to or is it hard to to get back once you take a leave um some guys have been able to come back successfully um like rico roman he took a year off ended up making the national team jen lee took a year off spent a year on the development team and then made the national team again um but I mean, as long as I can stay healthy, I'm going to continue to keep playing. And I mean, Tom Brady's playing in his 10th freaking Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, I've seen, I've, I love studying like people who are successful like that, especially in sports and the regimens and the workouts and the way he does what he does to stay healthy and fit. Are we going to get the uh, peach method here? The peach <laughs> no, method, no, baby. no, no. The, the peach method performance is... method coming <laughs> soon at First Line Training Center. <laughs> <laughs> it is not even close to the level that he is. He's on a whole nother level, but um, stuff like that inspires me to, to work harder every day. That's awesome, man. We're going to have to, uh, we were talking about it obviously pre COVID, but getting a, a chirping uh, skills comp down at a uh, Sandy spot here. We'll have to get you out there. Oh yeah. I, I play uh, at the end of um, practices. We play posts. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we'll see, we'll see if you guys can beat me. Just, oh, probably not. <laughs> God damn it. We're going to get crushed, but there it is, man. I mean, we really appreciate you coming on, though, and telling your story. It's it's incredible. I'm glad Sandy texted me about it, and we really appreciate, like you said, taking the time. And yeah, you've got an awesome story. And like I said, I hope you just continue to rack up gold medals, man. Like nothing, nothing. There's there's it's cool wearing one, but like give it a couple yeah. years, and you're rocking two or three. You're just gonna be like, yep. Yeah, you're gonna have the take picture biting it like all the all the X Games people. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll send that guys to you guys so you can post it on the uh, social media. Right on, man. Loves having you. Thanks for telling your story and uh, support the Children's Cancer Network. It was at Georgetown Pediatrics, right? So Mm -hmm. awesome guest. Uh, Appreciate it, guys.